0: Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellished Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and anybody else that I happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, or someone just floating through this channel, I hope you find it interesting. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully that can be found on any podcasting platform that exists, and if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com, and I'll try to get that taken care of. I also generally live stream the recording of these episodes and make them available for you whenever you want to download them. Um, You can find all of my links on Instagram at EmbellishPod or Twitter with the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place to pick up these links, episode details, contact information, and more. Today is Sunday, October the 16th, and we're going to be talking... With Eric John Jansen, and we're actually going to be talking about Whiskey Acres, which is uh, a, a farm distillery. Um, and you actually um, introduced me to it. But if you have been around whiskey, you obviously know who Eric is. Like everybody in the world knows who Eric is, and he's he's you know world popular here. It's a household name in, in the whiskey community. Um, but I'll give you an opportunity to kind of introduce yourself, um, how we got to this conversation, then we'll roll from there and see what happens.
1: Are you sure you're not running for political office? You know how to blow smoke just the right way. Let me tell you.
0: <laughs> you know, i I've I've I've, I've 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 been around the political ecosphere from time to time. Give me just a second because I want to check our live stream and make sure it's running appropriately. Because YouTube told me it wasn't.
1: Uh oh. Oh, we're good. Oh. All right. So long as we're good. So yeah, uh, I'm Eric Jansen. Um, you might find me on Instagram as the Bourbon Cowboy. Cowboy Hatch. Just kind of something I came up with. Yada yada. Um, Come from Illinois, from a smaller family farm. Um, My brother runs it currently. He is the fourth generation that is running it. Whiskey Acres is also a family farm distillery in DeKalb, Illinois. Um, I'm just a massive fan of theirs. I am not a brand rep by any measure, so if somebody happens to hear something that might be contradictory please by all means tell us i do not know everything i do not claim to know everything i'm just a big fan of bourbon big fan of whiskey acres and big fan of john
0: so if if some if someone from the brand does show up and they're like hey we really like this guy we should hire him they can find you on Instagram, right? Like, cause that's, that's what's really going to happen here. It's not that like that ah, we take objection to what he's saying. Cause at this point it's just two friends having a conversation about whiskey, which is exactly what whiskey is about. Right. A couple people just Absolutely. drinking and chatting. Um
1: Absolutely But my other friend uh oh, got to learn how to use yep. whiskey mutant.
0: <laughs> you, you make sure the branding is right. And that's, this is the problem with having like one of these boom microphones is I can put the branding on, but sometimes it covers up and you you got to get it just right. So the, so the, the thing, the logo hangs out or whatever, but you know what? Maybe, uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll send, have one of my children go dig up my whiskey mutant shirt and we can, we can match each other uh, between these here. <laughs> so oh, get you a
1: kick out of that.
0: You have a, you have a small family farm. What, what did you guys, were you row crop? Were you, you know, dairy? Yep. Like, what did you do?
1: Um, always grow crop as long as i've been alive and as far back as i can have any record that i know of my brother may have through his own investigation found out more but that all that all takes a split back in 2015 when dad passed and we're not gonna ponder on that right now but
2: right
1: yeah so he may have more information that i don't but um yeah, we've been row crop, just rotating corn and soybeans. Never doing any cover crops, to my knowledge, except for one year and a flood year.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so for I, I, we'll have to catch ourselves doing this from time to time. But uh, row crop, spe- row crop specifically refers to things like corn and, and, and wheat and soybeans that are planted in a row. That's kind of you know the straightforward term of it. I say this in my work all the time, and you grew up in it. But um, if you find a non-farming person, they're like, "What?" what the hell's a row crop? And it's literally just that things that are in a row. But if you think about you know, specialties or if you're into livestock, which are all farms as well, you're likely not farming grain or farming anything that sits in a row, or maybe you are, but you're only doing it, you know, to feed on the farm. You, you know, you grow enough corn to offset some of your feed costs or, or whatever else, but yep. it's a different operation whenever you're farming for profit, as opposed to farming to feed. Um, Absolutely. How, so let's let's go back a little bit in time and think about Eric as a whiskey person because you grew up in Illinois, right? It was Illinois,
1: yep, yes, sir. so
0: Illinois a lot of corn, but not necessarily at this point known significantly for whiskey, which is confusing because you know it's where all the corn comes from in the world. um how did you get here? How did you get into to bourbon
1: yeah, so um truthfully. I would say, like, the idea of drinking, like, whiskey, whiskey and Cokes, all that, a lot of that probably came from, like, pop culture as I was growing up, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, you had shows like Mad Men and Suits, and other stuff like that, that, you know, would um, glamorize drinking whiskey, and so that's something I kind of saw at a young age, and I was like, oh, that's like, you know, what the badass drinks, or, you know, what the cool guy drinks, well, Me having an internet connection was like the worst thing ever as a child, because I would just go down every rabbit hole researching things. It started with beer. It went to whiskey. Um, I got into archery. I got into golf. Anything that I've gotten into, I have spent a multitude of hours online researching before I even stepped my foot in the door. And so, yeah, I started out, uh, turned 21 in 2015. So I haven't been in for that long. And I know you're laughing over there you're I, like, I was No, listen, I so was odd. already
0: laughing because you were like, whenever I was growing up and I was watching Mad Men, right? And that was what the – I was married.
2: <laughs> I, was like,
0: I, was, I was like 27 when that came out. Thank you for hitting – we are – now seven minutes in and you've already hit the old chord. Congratulations. Uh, let me, you just, it let me super just drive early. it home for you. And then you you follow subtly right in with that in 2015. I turned 21. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it, man. Somebody's gonna have to do a wellness check on you after this. <laughs> this is not unusual. You have to understand. You're you're Slightly older than the people that I work with on a daily basis, some of my direct reports, so I get this feeling on the regular. They're like, "Oh yeah, in the 1900s," and they're talking about the late 90s, but that still technically is true
1: because no, we're 22 no, years
0: not. we're 22 years into the two thousand. So you can say in the late 1900s and mean the 90s. Uh, let's
1: let's never refer to it like that though, please, because <laughs> now
0: you're getting that mild cord. But that's just just it. You were only there for a few years in the 90s, man. That's like my first 20 years were the 90s. Hey, I was there for the majority of the 90s. I was born at
1: the very beginning of 94. So I had six years. That's the majority.
0: That's fair. That's fair. You know all right. Sorry, I derailed that completely. So you, you got in <laughs> That's okay. you, you, That's be the kind of person that dives in Yeah, you you're the kind of person that dives in deep on something, and I can appreciate that because um prior to COVID, like I've always been not always, but for a long time I've been a whiskey fan, but maybe had twenty five or thirty bottles prior to COVID and then we all locked down and I didn't spend money on lunch or gas or anything for two years. And so Yeah. You just do things like this, and there's there's like a well, whole other non visible shelf that used to be behind me, you know.
1: You know, you end up with that.
0: Yeah, and, and you start don't figuring even out, talk like,
1: about all the stuff that is sitting on my desk,
0: and the things that you have to put the spreadsheet together to make sure you accidentally don't buy duplicates. You know, unintentionally buy duplicates. You might want to, but sometimes, like I should buy this, but like, oh shit, Hardy bought this like three weeks ago, and I forgot about it. Uh, I gave up on
1: trying to have a spreadsheet because uh, <laughs> I I like my organized chaos.
0: Yeah, well it, it literally happened at three back-to-back trips. I bought something that I had bought a couple of months before and I don't necessarily gen- I generally don't buy duplicates because you know uh, you, you've get you've gotten this question. What's your favorite whiskey? And my answer is always I haven't tried them all yet so I don't know. Right. And that's where I'm at. Like, I want to try everything I can. And I know it's impossible to try all of them because there's 2000 craft distilleries in the United States, not mentioning the big boys and their varied brands. It's just not going to happen. But if I spend money on the same thing over and over again, I'm not going to get to broaden anymore. Right. So just don't finish a bottle and buy another one. Um, but then whenever I buy the same thing and now I've got like storage problems, I'm like, oh, shit. And so I created a spreadsheet and then I save it on Dropbox. So that way I can access it while I'm in the liquor store. <laughs> it's alphabetical. I'm like, all right, oh, there it is. I got it. I, I don't need to buy this one. You know.
1: I think I'd like it once I had it. It's the issue of actually going through and doing the inventory the first time.
0: Yes. And it, I, I, I happened to correspond to a time whenever I was moving all of my whiskey from one location to the other. And I was like, okay, I have to touch all the, all of them as it is. Let's go ahead and set it up now. And, you know, I was putting everything in a laundry basket because was bringing it upstairs to move it into the office. And on my fifth trip, I realized that's what I needed for sure to do it because I was, you know, five laundry baskets in of bringing just totes of, of, of whiskey. in, but these are, These are all first world problems. Um, I I appreciate the like the deep dive into things, you know, because it's I do this, and you know, I got into blacksmithing at one point in time and made a forge, and you know, hammered things out and whatever else. All
1: right,
0: you go in, you go all in. Um, You mentioned archery. Do do you still do archery, or is that just something you you did for a while and you shifted to a new thing? So,
1: not to toot my own horn, I actually I just got a notification from Facebook, uh, like three days ago. Nine years ago, plus three days, whatever, um, I actually won collegiate national championship in archery. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to travel all over the U.S. and compete. Um, I still have all my equipment. I still have a considerable amount of skill, but uh, I was in my early 20s with zero responsibilities in life. And so eventually I had to shift gears and focus on putting together a real life. (laughs) <laughs> but i i got to step away on my own terms thankfully and mm-hmm. a, another really cool thing i got to do is i actually got to design a product for a company before i left which made me feel really good because so is, is, is this market. like
0: a um is this one of the major archery manufacturers or is this like a, um... a
1: smaller startup company okay um the person happened to win the big uh, Vegas money shoot, the $50,000 shoot, mm-hmm. and I happened to be great friends with him. He asked me to help design a release. I did so for one of my works in college, and it became a full-fledged product.
0: So what did you go to college for? You're, you're, you're a farm kid who's into beer slash whiskey slash archery slash anything else. Um, what makes the most sense for Eric Jansen to go to college for?
1: CAD design and engineering.
0: So what directed you? So you, you grew up on a farm, and you decided you wanted to be a CAD designer. How how do, how do you get there? How does that happen?
1: So part of that comes from my time in the FFA. Um, growing up in Illinois and growing up about an hour and a half south of Chicago, we had one really cool thing, and that is uh, CNH, Case New Holland, has mm-hmm. a massive headquarters in Burr Ridge, Illinois and we got to go there as an ffa class at one point and do a massive tour see all these engine testing dynos and all these different testing apparatuses but one of the coolest things that they showed at the end of the day was a 3d model of an entire tractor put together along with like the exploded out view of all the parts And the ability to go and click on any one of these parts. Mm -hmm. I know it was all put together for a demo now, but it just triggered something in me. And I didn't exactly know what I was going into. I actually originally went to college for welding. And then the archery opportunity came along and I went to Southern Illinois for that did that and discovered SOLIDWORKS while I was down there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Got a little too serious about my archery and not serious enough about going to class. So we'll just say I had to come home. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um eventually started taking some courses at my local community college. Um Got linked up with some people and had the opportunity to attend a local university for engineering. And I was two years into that program. And truthfully, my financial situation just changed and I didn't want to rack on a ton of student debt. So I went to another local junior college and then COVID happened. And so that kind of landed me sticking around home and I kind of stepped back because. The type of programs that I run for 3D design and CAD design, whatnot, um, it's really hard to learn remotely. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier when you have somebody there that you can quick ask a question to. It's not something you can learn just watching a video all the time. And so I stuck back for a little bit, but I kept—I knew how to run it. And so I took on some odd jobs for some people I knew uh, I actually started on with a local ad company called shoot manufacturing. And I did design work for them for almost a year. Uh, they decided to downsize their engineering staff. And then lo and behold, I ended up with Cummins in Southern Indiana. And that's where I'm at now.
0: So that's, you know, and and don't think it. You're looking at a human being that took ten years to get an undergraduate degree, right here, right? Oh, I,
1: dude, I'm there, insane, the same boat. There,
0: there, there was a, there was a lot. There were, there were, there were different things that drew my attention other than academics. That. I was interested in capturing an experience and not a degree and that, you know, that, that, I got a lot of life experience, a lot of fun that, that occurred yes. out of that, but also you're exactly right. A lot of debt, a whole lot of debt kind of came out of that. Um, so that and the reason I asked is because we had a number, you know, I work in, in, in ag tech space and work with software engineers and, and the company that I, Work for that was purchased out at one point in time. We had several of our software engineers grew up on farms, you know. And so you find this uniquely tech savvy uh, farm kid that realized they didn't want to, you know, around here. Like I didn't want to spend the rest of my life working in tobacco, but I didn't want to wander too far from the the atmosphere. Right. Because there's a uniqueness that exists inside that atmosphere that isn't in many industries. And so they, you know, went out and got computer software degrees and they start working in the ag tech space and they go off and make, you know, tons of money because this is a thing. If you find companies like John Deere or, um, you know, CNH, any of these folks, if they find an engineer that also knows ag, that person can write their own paycheck (laughs) because it's not a, it's not a common thing. It's not a, you know, a regular thing. And, um being able to educate domain knowledge is very difficult. Educating how to, you know, code software is, 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 is the easier task of the two things. But we I'm seeing this this group of people that grew up on farms that are now seeking tangential relationships to it. Um and that's that's I like that. I like that. But that also gives me nerds to talk about um farming with or whiskey, you know.
1: Oh yeah. And I mean that's there has been a big push in the last 10 years I've noticed. Of, I know plenty of guys that are now full-time farmers, you know, took over father's land, took over grandfather's land, whatever it was. They all at least went to a two-year college back in my area for an ag business degree. Yeah. And they're all pretty darn successful.
0: Yeah. And, that, and that's it. You know, it, at one point in time, a, a farmer could keep the financial ledger of his farm in his brain largely, you know, and, and, and when it was profitable enough to farm 500 or 700 acres and still be able to feed your family and have a decent living and the way agriculture is going, that's not necessarily the case anymore. So you're looking at, you know, a thousand acres or 2000 acres and trying to keep all that in your head with all the inputs and outputs and the costs and the variability and the who has what, like, so this, yep this business mindset comes into place where you start having to treat it a little bit differently. And this is the, this is the rollover that I interact with on a daily basis, just given what I work on um, the, you know, the, the kind of, the kind of software that I work in, like these are the people that I'm dealing with regularly and it's, and, it, and it's, it, it's encouraging because it's allowing the, the smallholder farmer to stay alive, right? Because if you have that business yeah. acumen, it helps you, to be able to compete against the you know five seven ten thousand acre growers who can come in and pay more cash rent than you can and take land out from underneath you just because they've got the financial resources.
1: Yeah, it's it, it. and the <laughs> other thing to speak to it is that if you see a small family farmer, he is not just a farmer. He is a farmer. He is a mechanic. He is a technician. Mm-hmm. He probably, if he has his own trucks, is running a trucking company on the side. Um, yeah. Most likely doing any and every other odd job under the sun that they can fit in.
0: That's exactly right. And this is, and so there's this question that I have, where you know, like I, I, I connect what I do and whiskey together in kind of a way, and 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 you have a farming background, and you can kind of connect those two things. But I start with this idea of a craft distiller and a farmer are not too different apart from each other because a craft distiller has to be a chemist. They have to understand farming to a degree because they got to understand commodity prices and, um, you know, know, moisture content of grain as it comes in, the milling process, the fermentation process, the distillation process, maturation. And then they get into this same game that farmers get into is that once they put distillate in a barrel and they stick it into store, it's, it's sort of the, the same point that a farmer has put all the seed in the ground. They've had fertilizer and they've had their their, their chemicals that have gone on the ground and now they're just waiting and hoping for rain and time. And yeah, what comes out the other end
1: We're on the dice.
0: The, what comes out out the other end could be mediocre, it could be fantastic or it could be a complete bust. And that's exactly yeah. like farmers and distillers have the exact same patterns of behavior and, and skill sets where you got to just figure out how to fix things, at least at a small level. Like it, it, your craft distillers and farmers are just tied together in, in a very romantic way. But um, so so for you, I, I've said a lot of things. What is your like ag and whiskey connection or do you have one? Do you, Do you have something like that?
1: My ag and whiskey connection, I mean, well, I mean it kind of comes back to our our topic today of, you know, talking about whiskey acres. So I can remember finding out about whiskey acres starting up production when I was in high school. And that's when all of these things kind of crossed paths with me. Was I was so busy in the FFA, but I was most certainly imbibing in some adult beverages on the weekends, and so mm-hmm. there came that crossroads of like, Oh wait, farmers make whiskey, yeah yeah mm-hmm. that's that's it for me and it it kind of clicked from there and it and eventually um you know through the power of YouTube. You can look up so much, and you can find so many little documentaries or even little 10-minute snippet videos from a distillery or something. I just became enamored with the art and the love and the heritage that distilling bourbon had.
0: Mm -hmm. And that... You know, and and that's a, I've thought about, I've thought about this a couple of times because, you know, we, you know, being an ag tech company in a rural area, we have FFA rolling through our office all the time. They want to come in, they want to do a tour and they want to talk about what we're working on because it's a, a unique career path for an FFA person. You know, thinking about software and working for, you know, kind of a large corporation, but in a rural setting and impacting the modern American farmer, it's not something that they regularly kind of understand unless you just happen to have that in your space but ffa should lean into distillation I, i've thought this like you know like this is this is a this is a oh. potential and positive career path and i understand why they don't i right, let me back let me back up and saying like it's all a bunch of high school kids and you don't necessarily want to talk about grain alcohol with them but as a career path you have a ton of people that are going into food and in hospitality in their collegiate career path and coming out the other end and ending up in whiskey because of its relationship to hospitality, but it has an equal, if not larger relationship to agriculture in my mind. Wait, FFA should lean into this.
1: Yeah. uh, And I, I want to take a moment to get up on the soapbox real quick. FFA is one of the best young people organizations out there, bar none. And without it, it shaped so much in my future without, yeah. I don't know what would be going. Like but yeah, John, if we ever figure out how to get distilling in the FFA, I'm going back to Illinois to my home chapter. And,
0: <laughs> oh, we're cooking hooch. <laughs> Come along kids. Right. And, and maybe you start with just distilling water and showing the scientific process of it and how it can be been, but any, so it, I say all that because I say the, the F and that's, you're right. FFA is an incredibly important organization and this is the other part of it. I think you've got your soapbox. My soapbox is, is that uh, for a kid that didn't grow up on a, like I didn't grow up on a farm. My family were uh, people who built homes, right? Like that's kind of in a rural area, you've got plumbers, electricians, farmers, uh, mechanics, and then your random smattering of other things. And we were home builders. So we didn't, we didn't dabble into the farming too much because we were just trying to figure out how to make square walls, but thinking about, you know, my high school experience FFA to me was reserved for the farm kids and it's really not right. As an organization, yeah. it is akin to any other, you know, teenage enrichment program that makes them understand life, business, relationships, um, maturity, growth, whatever. Like there's, there's a ton of things that go into play in it that are beyond that. And so, My FFA spoke box is, it's not just for the farm kids. Like if you, just because you, if you don't grow up on a farm, there's still a place of value there.
1: Oh, absolutely. And you know, it it used to be FFA stood for future farmers of America. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's just the national FFA organization. Now FFA Mm -hmm. is just a name. It's a brand name essentially. Yeah. And honestly, the, the best thing that you go through with FFA is, and I think they should change the name of this it's called an sae or at least it was when i was there your supervised agricultural experience essentially for a lot of people that is here i am going to begin a business of some sort whether it be Mm -hmm. i'm raising these four pigs i'm raising this 10 acres of corn or in my case i did outdoor recreation i managed uh call tuning and guiding hunts in high school for waterfowl
2: Mm
1: it gets you it gets you involved in a business sense of whatever it is that you're getting into and i think they should just change it to S E E. call it a c supervised entrepreneurial experience
0: right it it takes because being in the program you understood that there was opportunity to do something beyond what might be considered traditional you know farm concepts or agricultural you know but but if you're a kid standing outside trying to figure out like what would i how do i fit in into that you know atmosphere yeah it's a barrier to entry and and you're exactly right there um so we'll we'll shift a little bit and start talking about whiskey acres specifically right and so you know whiskey acres is a Um, farm distillery and you know you you can run into a number of different things when you hear farm distillery and and, um, in some places it is it's a rural distillery that is partnered with local farms and they're kind of distilling grain which is maybe a little bit of a misnomer but they go with that because they you know they can tell you the first and last name of every person they bought grain from and they may only buy from one person and so i can kind of let people slide or they don't really have the answers to that. It's just a marketing, you know, kind of gimmick. And then and then there's people like Whiskey Acres. So give me the you introduced me to get Whiskey Acres. What makes them more interesting than most than some other um, farm distilleries?
1: So Whiskey Acres is as they call it, they are seed to spirit instead of grain to glass. Um they are in DeKalb, Illinois, which if anybody is familiar with the corn belt and some of the most fertile soil in the state of Illinois, it is right there in north central Illinois. You can grow 250 bushel corn all day long. It ain't tough. So long as you're taking care of fertilizer and whatnot. I'm not saying you can just plant it in the ground and get 250, but it you're not struggling for it. Um so the family had the idea to get into distill Brain tongue, get in line, please. The family had the idea to get into distilling when they discovered that back right around turn of the century, 1900 area, um, some of their predecessors had distilled on that site. Um, and so, right there in DeKalb, they own. I don't know the exact number of acres, but I will say it's well over 250 acres that surround the distillery. They own all that land. And so they set up and went through the process. And one of the best things they did was when they were, before they even ran a single drop of anything, they consulted with Dave Pickrell of Whistlepig, of Black End, of Maker's Mm -hmm. Mark. He... Whiskey Acres was one of his last projects before his unfortunate passing. And they consulted with him on how to do things. And Mm -hmm. through that as well, um, two very non-traditional grains to be grown in the Midwest are barley and rye. Rye especially. They worked with their seed providers to find varietals that they could grow regularly and healthily. So when I say that they grow everything, they grow corn, rye, wheat, and barley all right there. They mill it all right there. The only thing that they outsource is there's a malt house, I believe, five miles down the road, and they send the barley out to be malted by them and then brought back. They bottle everything there. They age everything there. They distill everything there. It, and the best part is. When you drive by. It's in. Well you you and I know them as Morton buildings. You know, We know them as a farm shop.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because there's the one half of that building. Where oh that's the still house area. And then you get to the other half. And there's Rick's there. But on the other side. Yeah there's. There's a bunch of old John Deere boxes stacked up, some old car seats hanging out that are seats. For it's a farm away. operation.
0: This, this, oh, this is a, a head shed of a farm. Operation.
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. And the thing is, when they take you on a tour, you will end up going across the way and, oh, yeah, here, welcome to our shed. This is where, you know, the planter and the combine and all this is. That's also where our brain mill is too. Mm-hmm. So they're going to show you that. And a lot of their stuff is aged, one, in an old Quonset hut, so, you know, the old half yep. half circle deal. And another part of it is they took a grain silo and turned it into a rickhouse.
0: A grain silo. So like a vertical grain silo? Yep. How high up are they going in the grain silo? From what I've
1: heard, I've never been inside. Uh huh. From what I've heard, they're getting six, seven barrels high.
0: That is... You know i I appreciate all of that because I know how hot grand silos get <laughs> yeah. and so when I think about the aging process i'm I'm on board with that and you know I I, I want to see long term how that behaves versus versus you know traditional Rick houses and their their storage or whatever like that's that's interesting i' I'm I'm, I'm I'm gonna put that on my notes of the day that they if anyone from that brand is ever like yeah we'll let you talk to us um, I'm gonna ask about that because I, I like I like this. This is the best. It's better than people that are turning, you know, grain silos into houses. You know, like there's a bunch of people that do that. Uh, no, 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 no. Let's turn it into some whiskey storage. Let's let's go that route.
1: Yeah, use it for something that's worthwhile. All right, it's still storing grain then.
0: Yeah, it's
1: just doing it a little different
0: to kind of add some to add some some color into the the decal conversation. Um, it's a city, but it's also a corporation, DeKalb. right? But but it's a corporation like the Oh yeah. Is a, so if you think about corn, like it is a corn genetics company, that's how prominent this particular county and area is for um corn in the United States. Not just not just for Illinois. I mean, you'll see the 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 corn cob with the wings all across the Midwest and Kentucky and Tennessee and ton of places. I mean, it's, it's, it's a brand, there's a brand that exists out there and, and and people pick it up and it's got a high degree of notoriety. So there's a lot of science that goes behind. And that, I think that's another place where, where whiskey and, and agriculture are interesting to me is that there's so much science behind the work that no one ever considers. That's not a part of the industry, right? Like oh, the God. common person driving by a cornfield doesn't think about science at all. Not thinking about, you know, fertilizer loads, AI loads on fields, um, you know, grain types, weather patterns, all these things. In the same fashion, they're not thinking about you know chemical reactions that occur. The complex chemical reaction that occurs to create whiskey
2: oh, is yeah.
0: just amazing, right? And then there's like you know there's 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 alchemy here. There's there's science and art and all of these wonderful things. But um, on farm distilleries are both the future and past of whiskey in the united states right like that's the reason why we have whiskey is because farmers needed a way to store grain before we had a way to store grain right like we didn't understand drying down grain and being able to keep corn for multiple years so we were like hey we can turn it into this clear liquid that decreases the volume that you need to store it and it is shelf stable indefinitely with tons of different uses we just so happened to find we also could drink it
1: right like (laughs) it is also quite delicious and it will fix all that ails you
0: (laughs) yeah you need it to 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 clean out a wound perfectly fine you need it to help you feel better before you clean out the wound you probably drink it then you pour it in right like that's the (laughs) take a shot pour it in the bullet wound bite on the spoon this is how it works right um the uh Maybe you know this. I've I've tried to do this backwards calculation. I keep giving up. Do you know how many acres of corn it takes to make a bottle of whiskey? Nope. So I've I've tried to think about this, like, because I don't know exactly what the conversion rate is. And so I've got to get with a farm, like an on-farm distiller and be like, like how many pounds of corn go in and how much whiskey comes out the other end? Because if I can get those two numbers, I'm not trying to figure out your scientific process. I just want to know, like, how many how many how many pounds of corn or how many acres of corn have to go in to make a bottle to make a glass to make a whatever? Because it just it seems like a nerdy thing that I want to know.
1: I can get you, um, <clears throat> Nick, one of the owners' emails. Mm-hmm. I know he has told me how many pounds per bottle it is. He yep. puts that into it. Just can't remember it. So if you want to reach out to him, I'll get to you with you after this, and Absolutely. he will be more than happy to nerd out with you.
0: Yeah, because that's uh, it. Just. I don't know in the same way that, you know, for, for my business, my job is trying to, to get the dollar back to the acre, right? So whenever you yield off of a field, you have your input cost, you have your revenue. How do we get it back to the acre to tell you what your profitability is and how do you, you know, but I want the same romantic nature of how do I get back to the field with this, right? How do I get all the way back down to, um, the dirt, where it came from, the the, the soil that, that kind of began this process. In, in I would respect. love to
1: know that because I would definitely take that as information to my doctor. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I am not drinking six glasses of whiskey a week. I'm drinking 36 pounds of corn. Thank you. <laughs>
0: I'm going to say he's still not going to be okay with that because we're technically <laughs> not really built to consume that much corn. Like, you know, it's tall grass is what it really is, but. Um, <laughs> it's green at one point in its life. <laughs> right, right. Um, so there's a malt house in Illinois. Like how many malt houses are there in Illinois? Is there a bunch? I guess maybe the, maybe there's a high call for malted corn somewhere.
1: Well, they're malting the barley there.
0: Right, but, but I'm just saying like the existence of a malt house so, prior to oh, the malt barley. So,
1: well, you got to think about this. Think about uh, breweries,
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. the craft beer scene.
0: That That's fair. That's fair. And, that, uh,
1: it, and you got to realize, DeKalb, one hour outside of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Chicago, massive epicenter for craft beer scene at one point. Pretty easy for that to get out that way.
0: All right, hold on. I've got I've got I've got notes here. I've got to go back to um I'm trying to stay in the whiskey acres before I go back to personal questions. Um so they 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 distill do you know what maybe you just answer this you can answer this maybe you can't. Do you know what what kind of corn they're using? Are they using you know just normal number two milk? yellow dent. Number two yellow dent. Do they have Probably any special bottles corn? Not not yeah. <laughs> like that matters. Um,
1: it doesn't matter, but it's funny. That's
0: it makes people. Here's
1: the soapbox we can get on, John.
0: We don't. We don't even have to get on the soapbox for anyone that wants to watch or listen to this episode. That wants to think about GMO corn versus non-GMO corn, specifically in a distilled spirit situation. If you've ever seen the movie Tommy Boy. Have you ever seen the movie Tommy? Oh, You've yes. seen the movie Tommy Boy. <laughs> there's, a portion where he's, right, well, there's a portion where he's talking about a guarantee on a box. The man who's wanting to buy the brake pads wants a guarantee on the box because it makes him feel comfortable. He can go to sleep at night, and he can be happy about it. And And Tommy has a really strong reaction and retort to the idea of a guarantee on a box and that is very similar to how you probably would react to someone saying well we can't i need it to tell me it's non-gmo corn on the bottle right like i can take a
1: shit in the box and slap a guarantee on it all i've
0: done is sell you a guaranteed piece of shit I, can't, <laughs> I got time. That's, he, like, he's, I got time. I can do all of this. It's like, If something's wrong with it, you can give me a call. He's like, but there's no guarantee on the box keeping everybody happy. Um, It, it doesn't I'm matter for that this conversation. It, th- this, is, this is the exact reaction. It does not matter for this conversation, no, it, the GMO portion. Um, it doesn't. Do, do they do any unique bottlings?
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, I've actually got two of them right here. This is, um, I'll see if I can get it up on the camera. Da-da-da-da. Learn how to turn the bottle, moron.
0: It's, this, it's, a, it's an artisan series. I don't know that. I can't. Hold on. If I can. All
1: right. No, no, i got a bad camera. So this is straight bourbon whiskey made from glass gem corn, mm-hmm. which, if you've ever seen it, looks like corn went to a rave. It is <laughs> pearlescent. It is yellow. It is blue. It is green. It is red. It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's, uh, this one created a really uh, really apple-forward bourbon, honestly. I really mm-hmm. loved it, and I do owe you a sample of this. I am just the world's worst shipper. That's why I don't run a logistics company. That,
0: that, is, that is untrue. Now, number one, we technically are not shipping whiskey anywhere. We are using couriers who are hand-delivering whiskey. Right? This is true. That that is what is occurring, and you you aren't the worst because you did not courier whiskey to a person where it goes to an entirely other state.
1: <laughs> well, and look, the someone got someone lost. got
0: some got some free couriered whiskey.
1: Yeah, that courier that courier got lost. I don't know how that courier got lost.
0: <laughs> the only thing I can think is that the label got somehow That's jacked true. up and they stuck another label over top of it. I I don't know. I don't know.
1: And then this is one of my favorites. This is bourbon finished in maple syrup barrels. And if you are familiar with the movie Super Troopers, are you?
0: Yep. (laughs) It's the syrup syrup chugging. Syrup chugging. Yes.
1: Yes, it is. I helped pick that bottle. So I'm very proud of that one.
0: Yeah. It is quite good. So the, the the do you have any indicate so for exactly what you're and, saying you know yeah if anybody wants they've to also
1: got some other bottlings um th- mm-hmm. those are just the two I have on hand yep. uh, they do a yearly or twice a year they do a limited release as often as they can ish of blue mm-hmm. popcorn bourbon so they replace the number two yellow dent with blue popcorn and. That creates a very unique flavor. I haven't had mm. it in so long, I couldn't truly tell you what that one tastes like. Um, they also do... Um, they have Bloody Butcher aging right now. They have yet to release it, and I know that's already up to five years. They also do a... Um, oh, what oh, Sweet Corn. They just released, uh, about a month or so ago, their first ever bottled-in-bond Sweet Corn.
0: Bottled and Bond.
1: Yes, that's that's the other thing they they released it at Bottled and Bond. They didn't even bring it out at low proof.
0: Mm -hmm. And this is the I've thought about this regularly. Is um, you know you've you've been in tasting events, right? You you've you've, you've been to tasting events, and you get a lot of people who are like, "This has a lot of corn flavor to it," right? And I have a, I have a distinct, this is, here's my soapbox for the day. Well, not my only soapbox for the day. Here, here's my next soapbox. Is that. On, John, let's hear. How, how many people do you know that are at those events that you feel like fairly comfortable that they understand the difference between corn that they buy at the grocery store and the yellow dent number two that went into the making of this whiskey? Because those are two distinctly different things. Different. Like if you go out into – you know if you go out into central Illinois and you go into somebody's field and you pick an ear of corn and you bring it home and you boil the shit out of that and then eat it, it is not going to taste like what you're used to.
1: No, I don't – besides those who may be – how do I want to put this politely – Besides those who are maybe more known. Mm-hmm. So I'll throw out one name because I don't think he's ever gonna have an issue with me saying it anyways, Fred Minnick. Yeah. I'll bet you Fred Minnick knows the difference between field
0: corn and sweet corn. I would say he does now. But but when yes. when he first started using the corn note, because it's a no, real 90% common thing, like,
1: people is... that use the corn note are talking about sweet corn taste. They're right. not talking Ooh. about actual
0: corn taste. The only thing that kind of that that may give them some credence is that they can parse through a flavor that is unique, and every time they've ever heard someone say "corn," they think this is a corn-forward whiskey. That's the flavor they're getting. They're not actually tasting. But I, but I really feel like they're they're saying like this tastes like sweet corn, which is like there's no relationship between those two. And so say I think this tastes like sweet corn because sweet corn and fuel corn don't taste the same. And nope. You know, if you're saying corn syrup, which is a whole other thing, you're talking about some Cairo, that's a different conversation too, right? And that's the – I don't get too invested in tasting notes because of that exact conversation.
1: So to me – and again, I know you don't get invested in tasting notes. If Mm -hmm. I say something tastes corn forward, I'm talking about field corn usually, and that's when I'm going to taste a, like, uh, dustiness.
0: Yes. Because to
1: me – that's what I get off of real field corn. I'm thinking of, you know, when you're harvesting, you get that red chaff in the air from the cob. Yep. And all you that. You might stuff. get a grassy,
0: grassy texture to it because of what's yep. coming off of the, the silage portion. Like, the, the, whenever I hear corn and I don't, nobody's talking about sweet corn, I literally think about it. I'm driving past the field that is being combined right now. They're processing it, and you get the dust that's in the air. You get the 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 grass that's coming off of it, the actual you know the 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 fiber portion of it, um and and some some chalky starchy conversation, which exists in a ton of whiskeys. I don't have a problem with that. And if if I'm just wrong and everybody else understands this, like that's just like the I've been doing this for a while and nobody's had this conversation. But maybe there was a meeting. Maybe there's a meeting somewhere and they're like, ah, this is what it is. This is what corn tastes. Did we like. miss and the I,
1: meeting, John?
0: I don't feel like I was invited, and this is some bullshit. Neither was I. (laughs) Maybe they just felt like, oh, these guys work in a certain space or came from a background. They know what we're talking about already, but um, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case at all. And that's where we can be uh, snobs of snobs, right? (laughs) Because we know what real corn is going (laughs) to smell like. Let
1: me tell you all about real corn, kid. Yeah.
0: If you want to know what the flavor is, go to the store, buy some cornmeal, toss a handful of that in your mouth, then you're good to go, right? That's, and maybe that's maybe they're referring to that too. I, I don't know.
1: That I mean, that's the best description, though.
0: Shit! All right, so I went down the path. So, <laughs> so <laughs> the, back you it up. You know, this is going to be a long episode, right? Uh, I mean, I, I hope so. I've, I've had some just kind of on time ones just based off of scheduling more than anything. But the 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 get, the gym corn that you're talking about um, for folks that are kind of imagining this in their brain, uh, any marketing image of Thanksgiving corn that you've ever seen likely had some glass gym corn in there because it's got the multicolored, yes. just crazy looking corn that you've never seen in your life. I don't know. That is glass gem considered a a field corn? Or is it considered more in the sweet corn vein, where you're actually just supposed to legitimately eat this?
1: I really don't know. I know it as an heirloom varietal. Yeah, and I I just know it makes darn good whiskey.
0: Yep, absolutely. So it is. It, it I don't sweet corn may not be the right way to describe that, but it is in. Yeah, the, it, is it more considered direct human for consumption. consumption, or yeah, it's, is it it's to a be human, processed? I, I I just hit a quick Google, and yeah, it is for human. It is a human consumption corn. I mean, because anything that is human consumption corn, you can use for other things. I mean, it's the same thing of the the sweet corn conversation. They're making sweet corn bourbon, which is unique, and not many people are doing that. Mm-mm. And I've 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 wondered that a lot why. I've heard some people say it's you know it's more difficult because of starch contents and when it dries down your volume is so much less and so your your prices have to be so high, but is it also could it also be because for the effort it's just not that much better? Like I, I don't know. And so, that's once again why I need to try all the things.
1: So bit more background on me. I proclaimed my brother the sweet corn king of Illinois. Mm-hmm. This man, if I have dove down the rabbit hole to the nth degree of whiskey, he jumped down same rabbit hole for sweet corn knowledge. Uh-huh. He has sat there and started plants inside the house and then gone and hand-planted them out in the field before. Oh, Lord. Just because he was curious about something one time, I have watched him count out the amount of kernels that go into each box Mm -hmm. and weigh out the amount of graphite to each box to make sure he is not wasting a thing and that everything comes out right in line. He used to work for a company called uh, Precision Planting, though. So his whole job back then was setting up and calibrating seed meters for modern day planting equipment. So he had all this at his disposal. Um, but to get back I guess to the conversation of sweet corn you've got a multitude of different factors there one you brought up the starch content yes your your overall when it's dried down is going to be way less Mm -hmm. because sweet corn just doesn't produce as much as field corn does on a cob per acre it's just the facts of life uh number two Sweet corn is a whole lot more easily damaged by the weather than regular field corn. If you look at a sweet corn stalk, it's about yay big around. If you look at a field corn stalk, nowadays, good Lord, they're like a Louisville (laughs) slugger.
0: And they're about 75 feet tall.
1: Yes, exactly. So you have that factored into it. And truthfully, the flavor that you get from it, Think of the most rich Werther's original butterscotch caramel. Okay, you are right in confectionery sugarland. That's where you land when you distill this grain and age it in oak, and it is amazing. Is it now whiskey acres? They release their bottled and bond for eighty bucks. There is another competitor on the market. They release theirs a hundred bucks more. Mm-hmm. Not sure I agree with that, but to each their own. I don't know everybody's inputs to outputs and everybody's tax rates and all that.
0: Right. There, there can be variability and, and you know, it, you could be at that point but, also eating five or seven failed experiments and trying to recoup your expenses because, you know, maybe you lost half your age product because you just lost it, right? And so that's the because this is the other part of the uniqueness of whiskey is that, you can go in with a hundred barrels and come out with 60 yeah. barrels that still have whiskey in them because yeah. of whatever. And so your variability and cost can be there. Um, you know, and and I, I catch myself doing the same thing where I compare one brand against the other when they're doing similar things, but I try to always back up to, do I feel that I got an appropriate value for us for what I spent on the bottle itself? Not comparing it to anybody. Now, Whenever I think about it, if I'm gonna buy a second one, then it's gonna be okay. Well, if I can get similar, if not slightly less quality, but at a significantly better price point, I mean, we all got budgets. Like I, I got, exactly. <laughs> I have children to feed. I have things to take care of, so I, I get that.
1: Man, I just got a whiskey habit to feed, and that that alone is killing me. And also, <laughs> hey, when will this end up? When will this end up? Are we live on YouTube? We're live on YouTube right now.
0: Yeah, we're live on YouTube right now. The the audio version will publish Tuesday morning early.
1: Okay. Eh, never mind. Carson, Carson won't watch anyway. Uh
0: huh.
1: Yeah, uh, the other part of my budget is about to be eaten up.
0: I was gonna dance around that man. I wasn't gonna say a word about it, and so we'll just kind of leave that out there. Um, you also mentioned blue popcorn. What do you yes. know about popcorn farming? Oh,
1: uh, so I don't know a lot about popcorn farming. I actually know quite a bit about popcorn making though. Mm-hmm. A good friend of mine back in Illinois runs a family popcorn shop.
0: Yeah. We we had one here in town and the only reason I ask is because until I started working in the job that I'm in right now, I did not realize that popcorn in the same way that sweet corn is is a different commodity than field corn right And so you're you're raising for popcorn you're raising for sweet corn or you're raising for field corn and there you know there's some other things out there are you raising your field corn for animal consumption are you raising it for ethanol you know what what are you trying to actually get at right there's a lot of nuance to it but specifically i didn't know that popcorn was its own separate thing and so i haven't ever spent any time like diving into it but did you get to taste the blue popcorn or, you said, or the blue popcorn isn't out yet?
1: Uh, I've gotten to taste the blue popcorn, but it was it was well over a year ago. Uh-huh. So I have had too many drinks since then to even try to give a tasting note. <laughs> it tasted good. I remember uh-huh.
0: that. Th- that's the only note that matters. Realistically, like everything after that is just pump and circumstance it's good or it's bad well maybe i take it back it can be good it can be great it can be fantastic like these are all things that we all sort of understand but everything after that is just based off of your experience like everyone understands great you know like we both got an opportunity to taste some pretty fantastic michter's whiskey at one point in time right and uh, there's no note i'll ever give off of that whiskey other than it was an amazing whiskey experience. Right. Like that's yeah. what it was for me. I don't need to give any other note that exists because you
1: see, you bring that up and now I'm looking at that Fort Nelson bottle going, you know, do I need another sip? <laughs> my
0: Mine is unopened and my intent is to keep it unopened potentially until Memorial Day weekend when there's an opportunity for some of the same people to be in the same room to open the bottle and drink it again. Absolutely. Now, will it make it till then? I don't know yet, but it's made it so far. Yeah. I I shared
1: some with my local cigar lounge owner after the mm-hmm. Avalanche won the uh, Stanley Cup. Yep, He's a big hockey fan. I was hanging out there for the entirety of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, that bottle's barely been touched. Now, the shanks, on the other hand, that I got that day. oh. <laughs> <Whew. laughs> It, it was a good soldier, and it's it's doing its job. But boy, it's losing its battle quickly.
0: Yeah, and that's that. That's part of the other reason why I try to buy faster than I drink is that I'll never finish a bottle at this point, right? Like I'll get down yep. to a little bit and be like, "Oh well," I'll move on to something else and kind of keep that 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 that, that little friend around. I've been milking the same you know Buffalo Trace single oak project that they did a dozen years ago or whatever. I've been milking that same tiny bottle. For like five years. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm probably in the same boat with the uh, Masters Keeps lineup.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Although not I re- do have, they're to, not replaceable. Although I do have to really get into that 1894. It's still a full bottle, and that's just disappointing.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I think if anybody has the skill or ability to tackle that, you're definitely one of those people for sure. Um, so we've covered – they've got a bloody butcher that's at five years that hasn't been released yet, um, sweet corn, which they do, in a seasonal release, which is bottle and bond, which is just amazing. Um, that may be worth a drive up there. I may need to find a reason why I've got to go visit some farmers and make my way into the community be like, hey, I'm here to get some whiskey. You'll be standing in line. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's – there are lines that are worth standing in, you know. Like oh, liquor yeah. store releases, I may not be the person, but a distillery who's doing something unique, they deserve it. You know, they they absolutely. Absolutely. It. Um, all right, so let's we're gonna we're gonna kick back. We're gonna kick back to some to some personal stuff. You said that in your SAE, you did a thing on waterfowl hunting. Yeah. So you're, are you an avid waterfowl hunters or is it something you used to do that you don't do anymore?
1: I, I would definitely say it's something I used to do that I don't do anymore. Um, mm-hmm. all that came from, um, my older brother got into it. I wanted to be like him. And then I dove down a rabbit hole about calling and I found out, and this is something I'm actually trying to pursue still, um. Illinois is a freaking hotbed of legendary call makers Mm -hmm. and has influenced call making as a whole in ways I could never fathom. So that has always been something cool to me that I would love to try and get the history all put together for someone and be able to go look at this. Here's a family tree essentially of, like this company started this company, started this company, yada yada yada. And yeah, back then, I mean Well here, I'll just show you. I happen to have a goose call nearby. Uh, mm-hmm. fair warning for your earbuds though, you might get blasted out. Oh, I'm
0: I'm I'm fully aware. <laughs> Now, now is Carson in the house with you right now? Oh yes, she is so did you did you send the pretext of like everything's fine? I was supposed to do that. No, no,
1: she's just come to accept that at random times on random days, that noise is just gonna appear. mm-hmm so and so go ahead. So yeah, um, back in high school, uh, I was fortunate enough to grow up around an area that had a uh, nuclear cooling lake. And so 70 degree water in the middle of negative 20 degree weather, that's where all the ducks and geese flocked to. So we had a lot of hunt clubs in the area. I happened to get the opportunity to work with one when I was younger. And so I would take people out to their property and I would be in charge of setting up the decoys calling in birds and telling them when the birds were finally close enough to take the shot. And the other thing that I did on the side was I actually tuned calls. So, I mean, for anybody that doesn't know, I mean, a call is simple as it comes. You have a reed stuck between two pieces of plastic with a trough opening at the end. Works just like any other read an instrument, whether that be a clarinet or an oboe or anything of that su- such nature. You have to get them in tune to get the right tone.
0: Mm-hmm. And So how do you, how do you people, get to knowing like what the right tone is? Like, Is this just by so ear? Or you-
1: it, it's definitely by ear, but it's also, you have to kind of look at the call that you're playing with. So here's one that I use all the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then there's this little guy that I play with occasionally they're meant to have different tones. Again, warning for your ears. That's a lot louder, a lot poppier, but -hmm. that's the sound that I wanted to get out of it. And so, what what you look for is kind of this top to bottom range. You know, can it hit this when you're trying to like whine at them and get their attention? And can it go down into the You know, that, that low growly sound and you want to be able to run from top to bottom without any big air slip, which when I talk about like air slip or air leak, that just means how tight that reed sits up against the trough. Mm
2: -hmm. If
1: it's too far back, you've got a whole bunch of wasted air. You're going to have to blow a lot harder. You're not going to be as efficient. If it's too Mm -hmm. far forward, you won't even be able to pop it over.
0: So whenever you're out guiding this, like how do you how do you know which call to use? Because I mean, I, I know you, you're the guy. You're like you've got the lanyard, you got like four seven calls. Oh yeah, calls. Uh, yeah. Um, there's probably some bands on it, right? Like you're you, zero you zero band. Really? Is this a in like all you these don't years zero bands? Killed any bands?
1: I just haven't killed any bands.
0: Well, that's surprising. But anyway, so if you oh, had one, there would be bands on it, right? Like that oh, yeah. that, that would be, uh, <laughs> that would be the existence. But like how you pick, like, is it just a uh, instinct Do you, so, over time or?
1: So it, it depends on a lot of variables. Uh, first one being time of year. So mm-hmm. am I hunting local birds that have been around for all summer or am I hunting a fresh set of migrators that just came in in the last week? If I'm hunting migrators, I'm going to opt for something like this that's a little bit higher pitched. Maybe not this exact call, but you get the idea. I want to go yep. higher. I want to scream a little bit because they're generally going to be flying at a higher altitude. And volume won't reach them up there. Pitch will. Um, the other thing is I look at how much hunting pressure is right around me. So let's say I'm in a field here. Well, is Jimbo in this field over here and his Billy Bob in that field down there. Okay, well, let me listen to what they decide to do on that first flock in the morning. All right, they're Mm -hmm. both going with high-pitched calls. I'm going to grab the lowest pitch thing I have and call as slow as I can Mm -hmm. because I'm going to set myself apart. Um, Another thing is I look at material as well. So, like this gray call, this is made out of acrylic. This call has a coca-bola wood insert. Mm-hmm. So completely different tones there. A lot more warm and rich tone in this, but if it's windy, they're not going to hear that near as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's, uh, to quote one of my favorite quotes from Pat McAfee: "Situations are situational."
0: you're mm-hmm. <laughs> <And laughs> you're 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 not wrong. And the you know, I I learned a little bit about duck calls and, and goose calls because at one point you know we were talking earlier about like you get into things you know i've, I've got a have got a lathe in my shop out here a wood lathe and trying to figure out like what can i make you know you can only make so many bowls before you know unless you're a true artist like if you're a true artist you can make bowls forever because you can imagine shapes and you can you know, wood gra- I'm, I'm not an artist i just you know i, I would probably be a production creator of yeah. things it wouldn't be a you know, piece of artwork but You know, you come across duck calls. I'm like, oh, well, this is a thing I think I could do. And then the more I dove into it, I was like, no, these people are serious. Like, I could build you a souvenir duck call that you could have somebody's name laser etched on and hope they never take it into a field. But, man, there's a lot of intention and serious uh, relationships with duck calls.
1: And I got to tell you, I don't even jack with duck calls that much. I stick Mm -hmm. to my goose calls because they are truly a much simpler device. Yeah. Uh, Here, I've got a, I've got a bag of. Actually, no, I've got one right next to me. What am I thinking? Um, you know, a duck call works similarly, but you've got this whole tone channel here. Yep. That is set at a very specific angle, drilled to a very specific depth, and like the tiniest change can throw the whole
0: thing off. Yep. And I I don't have that. I'm not that precision guy. Uh, you know, like I said, we came from home builders, not home finishers. When it comes it. to, when it comes to finish work, you know, it's it's not for me. It's, it's it's not a thing that I'm capable of. I. So do you, when when you when you hunt geese, because there there are there are people that hunt geese for sport, and you know they they don't do anything with with an animal after the fact, and you know that has some value because I've seen what geese can do to the edges of fields on a regular basis when it comes to corner soy. Or any type of anything they can get their hands on, like geese can can devastate a crop. But are you a consumer or are you a a, a hunter? Like, how, what 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 do you do with a goose once it's on the ground?
1: So for me, most times um, I use a goose two different. Well, I use the goose the same way, but it's used two ways.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: First, I'm going to breast them out, so I'll cut right down the breastbone, take those big, nice, beautiful chunks of lean red meat out. Mm-hmm. That's generally actually going to get blended in with duck and or with pork to just make a, I call it a outdoorsman sausage or an outdoorsman Mm -hmm. burger, just something kind of simple. And then what I will also do is I will take that carcass and then we will toss those out in the field as bait piles to hunt coyotes. Gotcha.
0: Nothing goes to waste there. And, you know, I've not done much waterfowl hunting of any type because it's just, it's just cold, man. It, it's usually cold. it is, it, and, and I'm uh, I'm not interested.
1: Well, and it's sad, honestly, for me. It's like, hi, yes, I was a national champion archer. You mm-hmm. would think I would be a deer hunter. Mm-hmm. Nope. Uh uh-uh. oh. You've met me. You know, uh-huh. sit still and be quiet are two things I cannot uh-huh. do. Mm-hmm. So I had to get into waterfowl because it was so much more fun. Yeah, I, it's more. It's, it's a lot more active. Life, the best days of my life had been spent in a cold field, sitting there cussing with my friends, going, "Why did we think this was going to work?" <laughs> <laughs> the
0: The last time that I I went duck hunting, it was we we were going to get fitted for tuxedos for one of my friend's weddings, and he lives in Southern Indiana, and they had a a, a lake where you can public draw every morning, and you can go out and get in a blind. And uh, we drew a blind. We go. We're gonna go get in this blind and. Somebody was already in it and we we're not the, like, we're going to argue with you about it. And so he was like, well, we'll go over here and we'll set up in these weeds. You know, we've got some, some blonde weeds. The boat was similarly colored. You know, we, we sit up in it and it spit a light snow for five hours. (laughs) And we saw maybe two ducks the entire five hours we were there. And, It was, it was an experience. And then as, as we kind of progressed through the day, we realized like what we thought were two people sitting in the blind we were supposed to be in. were not, it was just like, you go in right at the the sun coming up and shapes can look like things. I don't know if you've, you said you don't, but if you've ever been deer hunting, when the sun comes up, a bush can look like a monster deer and it's not, it's just a bush. Um, and so we're already set up
1: like a monster deer.
0: Yeah. And we, we're already set up and we're locked into our space and we're not going to row back across the lake because we don't have a motored boat because we can't have one on this particular lake. You got to, yep. you got to, oar your way across it, not row. The people in Southern Indiana called it oaring, which I didn't. That's a weird word, man.
1: That That is a bit odd.
0: Yeah. But anyways, we, we just didn't do it. And so I, I've not been a big fan of that, but one of my coworkers is, you know, loves to go um, goose hunting just on a regular basis. And so a couple of years ago, I was like, hey, you know, if you kill any, like, I'll take a couple, you know, because he, he normally would either make jerky or he'd make dog food out of it. He, he wasn't a, a huge food person, but I'm obviously a, in into food. And I had a, a a pastrami recipe that I wanted to try. Like, I have a recipe to take, you know, goose breast and turn into pastrami. And so he calls me and he was like, all right, we we killed. uh 16 geese i'm like sweet cool he's like meet me you know at, at the the sporting goods store down the road here so i go up there and pull up and he's like all right here you go and he pops on the top i was like how many i supposed to get he's like no you're taking all of them oh sh- <laughs> right so i was just wanting like three maybe four like i want to test this out and so now i'm in a position of like i have to process like 16 geese
1: 32 breasts that are bigger than my hand each one of those breasts weighs about two pounds. It was a
0: lot. It was a yeah,
1: lot. Man. I'm doing the math here. I'm going, Oh, 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 oh. oh
0: and I'm not no. going to like, he was nice enough dude. So I'm like, cool. Yeah. I'll come get it. So I go over there. I pick the stuff up. I bring it back home. And my wife comes out to the shop, you know, cause I've got everything hanging up in the shop. I'm like, all right, I'll work my way through it. It was cold enough so they could hang. Right. So it wasn't yeah. you know, too bad or whatever. And it took me like three days to get through what I needed to get through um, because I didn't have just a block of six hours to do these things. You know, I got kids. I got other stuff going on. And it was delicious. It was absolutely delicious. Oh, so it worked out. You know, it was, it was some good pastrami.
1: It's it's great stuff. And I, I will say, I've been in your shoes of trying to go into like a public blind draw. Honestly, for me, that's why I loved hunting geese because we didn't have to be on the water. But I'm also that moron who's laying in a field when it's negative twenty five out, <laughs> going, yeah, 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 they're gonna come here today. <laughs> no, they're this not. This is a good
0: idea. I promise, it's a good idea. No, they're not. Go home, you moron. <laughs> there are days that don't work out, but you know it's the and usually it's, it, that's the other part that I think that is that is fun about waterfowl hunting that doesn't exist in most other. Like you usually do it in a group. Ooh, right, yep. so you got folks around, and so you have that shared experience of just this, whether sucks. good or bad. <laughs> and the farther you get from the fact that it sucks, you get to have that like fun, reminiscent conversation. You remember that time we were out there and we saw nothing, and I got like a little bit of frostbite on the tip of my toe, but you know, like you can fondly remember it six months later.
1: Yeah, so I mean, my best memory was a day where we had all the birds in the area. It felt like. Mm-hmm. didn't kill a single one um it was a foggy morning it was closing day of uh season so this would have been january 31st mm-hmm. roughly um and so in the fog geese get a lot less vocal but they attract to whatever is vocal and whatever is real mm-hmm. uh, when the fog's thick enough we had a We had the first flock land into us, and I -hmm. could see the next, what I thought was just the next flock coming. So I was like, hey, let's hold up. We're going to let these first six land, and then, you know, we'll take them all together. No, Mm -hmm. that's not what happened. That six was preceded by another six and another 10 and another 100. Before we knew it, we had what we estimate to be about 5,000 birds in this field. And we're all just in layout blinds like this, though. <laughs> well, we going to be, be the here first a while. One to break, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And I mean, it, it was a really cool experience because if you've ever paid attention to how vocal geese are and how mm-hmm. territorial they are, it was really unique to see that. But at the same time, you're talking about four under the age of 18 boys shotguns loaded Mm -hmm. the discipline that that took (laughs) to not just go hog wild
0: right (laughs) (laughs) it looks like a massacre that that field looks like a massacre at that point
1: yeah well no it was almost at the point where it was like too dangerous because you shoot over your limit that's a federal offense my friend not a state offense (laughs) they were like I don't think I want to meet the feds today.
0: <laughs> no, no. That's, you know, they that's where, you know, guns get taken, trucks get taken, uh, fines get levied. Uh, you, yep. We you know, the audio like, of I'm never going to financially recover from this. That's, that's largely what's about to happen there. And you don't get to ever hunt again. I,
1: I believe what we ended up doing. Yeah. We ended up just popping up and letting them scare off and we didn't fire a single shot. <laughs> Cause we didn't even want to educate them. Right. And it's so stupid of us because we spend all of our time because these birds get so pressured and they see so many flocks of decoys and stuff. It was the last day of season. Who do we mm-hmm. care if we educate them? They're on to the next bunch of suckers down the road.
0: Right. You could have at least, you know, how many ever there were of you, two apiece. We could have popped our limit.
1: It, it was two yep. apiece at that point. We could have popped our limit. No problem. But No, we're a <laughs> bunch of smart 18-year-olds.
0: Right. Well, I mean, when, when you got that many there, there's a chance that you shoot one, but you catch one behind it. And then you shoot another one, you catch one behind it. And then you just pray one of your buddies is a terrible shot. And you're like, so if we run the numbers, everyone hit their limit, regardless of who shot.
1: Yeah, it was it was one of those, you know what? Just, just thought of me. You know, I that, enjoyed it.
0: an example of advanced maturity that doesn't normally exist with kids.
1: Yeah, trust me that was the only time that ever existed for me we're not gonna look at the rest of my teenagers <laughs> sweep yeah. that under the rug real quick. yeah we'll
0: we'll not talk about anything that might um be still within the statute of limitations yeah. considering, <laughs> you know That's right you only turned 21 in uh 2015
1: so um, i mean hey i turned 29 in january if it makes you feel better
0: no no it doesn't not even remotely no why I am not even thirty yet is what I just heard you say. Like that's the words that I heard you say is I'm not thirty yet. Hey, Carson's not
1: even twenty-six yet.
0: You know, I, I assumed as much because usually the age gap is somewhere between three and five years between a guy and a girl. That's just like an a normal average. And I read this I read this study that that holds it to be true is that um at birth a infant male is I think three or four weeks behind an infant female. And so if you run the numbers out, if we look at maturation, that's the reason why they show more advanced maturation maturity. Maturation is whiskey. We're talking about maturity. More advanced maturity at younger ages is because they start off with a head start. And so you usually end up, you know, like trying to marry somebody the same age as you. They're like, you're sort of stupid and I don't like you. And they're right. They're oh, mostly wow. right.
1: I I will just simply say this: We as men don't just take things for fact ever. We mm-hmm. must prove it ourselves. And my father made me earn knowledge. It was never given. Oh, is that piece of metal hot? You're gonna find out by touching it. Oh. <laughs> Is that flammable? You're going to find out by almost setting yourself on fire.
0: (laughs) You know that there there are certain lessons that can only be learned one way, and you know that's it's it's a it's a thing that I learned in. Which I mean, it's common sense, but whenever I was doing you know just playing around with the idea of blacksmithing, you get into this mindset that if it's red, it's hot. Nope, nope. Sometimes when it's black, it's still hot.
1: It doesn't get red until a certain temperature.
0: And so you get used to, like, don't touch that one. It's red. You reach over and grab this one with your hand, and you're like, oh, now it's stuck to me. Yep. Because it's still hot. Yep. right? Black heat, the the most dangerous heat in his forge. Oh. Yeah, and I learned that. And I didn't have, like, no fingerprint here, (laughs) nothing on this, nothing on this, nothing on this. And then the pinky, which wrapped around, was, like... Because I grabbed a hold and held before I realized what I had done, <laughs> and when I let go, you were ready it was to go commit a really good crime. It was it no, because I couldn't grab anything. Like I was in, like holding something was painful at that point. Not doing that.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, it was a dude. Mistake. With that welding background, let me tell you, mm-hmm. the amount of times I've grabbed something hot. Yep. I just had to shout a line of obscenities afterwards. Uh,
0: You know, and and the thing is, when when I was in college, I lived with three girls We were all friends. None of us were, you know, we weren't in any, they were just friends and it was an inexpensive house. It was like a five bedroom house that we were renting for less than a hundred dollars per month per person. Right. That's how shitty this house was. No, look, it was not safe. (laughs) (laughs) That's what made it fun. Right, but they had curling irons and 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 flat irons and all that. And I learned real quick that when you knock something off of the sink, don't grab it. Right, because as a guy, you do. It's because it's usually it's a it's a toothbrush, it's deodorant, it's toothpaste. It's don't because that curling iron might still be hot, and you grab the wrong end, even though it's not red hot. Right? You don't know. Yep. But well, then you know, ten years down the road, John. I
1: see. I see Carson drop hers, and I'm just like. Uh-uh.
0: Back. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. back
1: up. Mm-hmm. I don't trust it. <laughs> I mm-hmm. look at that thing like a snake. It's gonna <laughs> reach out and bite me.
0: It, and it will. You're learning your lesson early, early, early enough. So you are you're you're into whiskey. You have a pretty good collection. Um what's your daily go to? Like what's what's your your thing that you're like, all right, I don't mind drinking this on a regular basis? Uh
1: probably Russell's tenure.
0: I knew it had to be a turkey product. Me addicted to turkey? What number? What, what Like, how did this addiction to turkey start? Right. And so let's let's let me back okay. up. Let's give it some context. Um, you have a relatively significant collection of Masters Keep. Is that a correct statement?
1: I have every Masters Keep that has been released. With the exception of Unforgotten, which I just haven't gotten yet this year, so, so I have all one, two, three, four, five, six, seven releases. I've also gotten some very limited bottlings from years mm-hmm. ago, and been fortunate enough to get some export-only releases.
0: So, so how do, how do, how does a a kid from Illinois get addicted to wild turkey premium wild turkey products? So
1: funny enough, when I started down the bourbon hole, I actually did not like wild turkey.
0: Hold on. I got to back up right now, okay? So bourbon hole may be the new name of my podcast. (laughs) It just feels inappropriate, but also appropriate. It's just inappropriate enough to make you giggle. (laughs) Would you like to join me in the bourbon hole, right? That does that. <laughs> yes. Thank you for helping me rebrand. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. this is inappropriate. <laughs> right. so, when you started into the bourbon hole.
1: Yeah. So, my first bottle that I really liked, and as you, if you can't tell, you want me to rewind to one point, I'm going to rewind about 50 steps past yes. that <laughs> so that we can get there. So. <laughs> Uh, First bottle that I really liked was actually Evan Williams single barrel. And at the time it was still available in Illinois and it was 28 or 29 bucks a bottle for a nine, eight to nine year old single barrel product. Pretty darn tasty to me. Um, But yeah, I had tried Russell's at one point and I thought it had too much spice. But that's when I was like six to eight months into whiskey drinking. Mm -hmm. Fast forward a few years, and I realized that I had liked uh, Russell's Reserve single barrel picks. And I had one, maybe two of those at this point. But I'm laying in bed with, I'm laying in a hotel actually, in Springfield, Illinois one night. I was down there visiting friends. And I get a call from my buddy back home who usually went on every trip with me to go hunt down bottles or go to make a Benny's run because mm-hmm. every Benny's store from us was forty five minutes, yep and so we would be like, "All right, it's Saturday we're twenty two We have nothing to do in this world. Yeah, let's go hit up four different Benny's today. Who cares um he called me at like eleven o'clock at night and i'm I'm half asleep. And I pick it up. Yeah. Hey, they have a wild turkey master's keep 17 year here. 150 bucks. You want it? I mean, I don't need it, but sure. What the hell? Click. <laughs> well, two days later I'm having dinner with him. I get the bottle. He comes on over, and uh we crack it open. And our eyes went like saucers when we tried this stuff. Mm-hmm we had never really experienced what Wild Turkey could do. And by the end of the following week, we had tracked down the decades and the revival. And, oh yeah, dude, this was like, it, it was like a heroin addiction. Like, here, you got your first When you hit. go
0: in, you go in. I understand.
1: <laughs> I got when my first go hit, the and then all ball, of a sudden, it was just like, be- I need more master's teeth, please. i ain't gonna make it without it. And, and believe it or not, I've gone through, I'm on my second bottle of Decades. I'm on my second bottle of Revival with a third hiding up in the closet. Um, I'm on my second bottle of Cornerstone Rye. Like, I have bought them multiple times, but the mm-hmm. store that we went to to find a lot of this stuff also happened to have the release that came out before Master's Peak which was called Diamond Anniversary, mm-hmm. and it was to celebrate Jimmy's 60 years with the company. That was a blend of 13 and 16-year-old whiskeys. I had that in my possession. Um, I have ended up with more premium whiskey from Bob's Turkey than I know what to do with. And mm-hmm. what really drives me to enjoy them so much is the fact that this company has only two mash bills. One Mm -hmm. bourbon and one rye. And when you taste through all the different bourbons to find the amount of difference and complexity that they can create is just unreal. And that's a testament to the fact that they have three different aging sites. The one being Tyrone, which is right there in Lawrenceburg at all the distillery facilities. The other being McBriar, which is actually right across the street from Four Roses in Lawrenceburg. Mm-hmm. And then the other one being like an hour south at Camp Nelson.
0: I don't think anybody knows about Camp Nelson at all.
1: Yeah, no, nobody's ever heard of that. It's a great kept secret. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you 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 got infatuated with that um, with, with with the turkey how did you like what pushed you into everything else right like because because i I feel like your collection is pretty broad right you've got a a very strong turkey vein
1: but i've got a strong turkey vein but really like my love for everything else really came um came from watching reviews so you know the likes of perry with this is my bourbon podcast Mm -hmm. chad and Sarah on its bourbonite um back in the early days of bourbon junkies Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and um like my whole education in whiskey really formally started with um the whiskey vault youtube channel yep and that's where i really learned a lot of my stuff and then like i said google and youtube man i can go down a rabbit hole real fast
0: yeah and it's that's the, both the benefit and detriment of most of my spare time is that now I can, but also like, should I be doing something else? Eh, yeah, probably, maybe, but you know, everybody's fed, everybody's clothed. We have food, you know, we're, 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 we're good to go. Um, have you gotten into, you know, other spirits? Like, are you, are you, are you, are you diving into scotch or are you just staying in the bourbon and rye
1: So I do like my bourbon and rye, but actually I do find myself jumping back. And when I'm turning like this, I'm looking over at my shelf, kind of check and see what else there. Um, I do find myself going back into Irish whiskey a bit. And actually Mm -hmm. I truly, my first bottles of whiskey I purchased were scotch. And I still have a soft spot for non peated scotches, especially, um, compass box, the, um, Oh, what is it? The Great King Street blend or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. It's like a 30. Oh, I'm going to have to Google this now because (laughs) I I done forgot. I done goofed. If my mouse. There we go. Bluetooth, nice. Not the best thing.
0: Are we on the mechanical keyboard right now?
1: Yes, actually, yeah. I went with a tactile one. It, mm-hmm. they, hey, there's another thing I got into that I didn't need to be into.
0: <laughs> I don't know anything about that. Uh, I have nothing to say about mechanical keyboards.
1: All right, there it is. It's uh, the Artist Blend from Compass Box. That is one that oh, will always have a soft spot, along with honestly, a bottle in my opinion doesn't get enough attention. Have you ever heard of Auchentoshan? Yeah, yeah. They're they're American oak. It is like a thirty five dollar bottle of single malt Scotch from the Lowlands, and it is so darn good.
0: Yeah, we've got a we've got a, a whiskey bar that opened up in in a town near me a handful of years ago and they've got an incredible selection and they've got some pretty good accintosh and um some some older dustier bottles you know being in kentucky we have that opportunity now where you can buy vintage whiskeys um in in a, in a store setting and so they have some and what about wife's really good friends her husband is into scotch and so we'll regularly go back we'll you know go up to the to to the whiskey bar and i'll pick out a bourbon for him and he'll pick out a a scotch for me because we're educating each other because he doesn't know much about bourbon and i know far less about scotch than he knows about bourbon
1: i've got a bottle of scotch at home that is when i say home i mean back in illinois i still don't have the entirety of the collection in indiana (laughs) yet this is bad
0: No, it helps you to feel better about it, right? Because once you get it all in one place, then you're like, well, shit, now I have to face my addiction completely.
1: Sir, it's an addiction if you call it that. If I call it a coping mechanism, that's different.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I'm pretty sure heroin can still be a coping mechanism, and it's, it's both. It's still
1: <laughs> I don't need your logic. I need you to support me and my bullshit.
0: <laughs> I support it. I support it in conversations that are not just the two of us talking. Like if we're, if we have like, if my wife shows up, we'll have that. Yeah. This is a, co- it's, it's fine. It's fine. Fair Never enough. Understand. Yeah. No. Um, Benny's
1: had on sale um, Highland park full volume back mm-hmm. in the day, which was an 18 year old scotch aged exclusively in ex bourbon barrels they were selling it for 50 bucks a bottle. Yes, you heard me right. Okay. 18-year-old Highland Park for $50. Would you have bought that?
0: You know, and and here's the here's the detriment to being a bourbon person going into scotch is that I assume everything is cheap because in bourbon The bottom end for me usually is $10 per year. Your assumption is $10 per year, right? It's a fair number, and it's going to vary from distillery to distillery. But if you've got a 12-year-old whiskey, $120 is not inappropriate for it. So if you tell me you have a 15-year scotch for $50, I'm like, damn, that's a deal, but it's not the same thing, and so I don't know. But, yes, I would be like, that feels like a deal. Let's buy that. So for context,
1: uh, original shelf price at Minnie's was 100 and they yeah. were clearing it out at 50 Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, I'll buy it. I bought three bottles. I wasn't <laughs> even sure what it tasted like, but I knew it was an 18-year-old scotch for $50. bucks. mm hmm I'm not small, like but I
0: Like a like hundred bucks should be a right. You know, like that's, that's exactly where it should be. Um, and it would still feel like a deal to me because I have a broken bourbon brain. I'm stuck exactly. in the bourbon hole.
1: The bourbon hole, man, it's a, it's a dangerous place.
0: It's a thing, you know, it's it, a it, thing it, now. It's. <laughs> All right. Cigars. Let's talk about cigars. That's, so that's another cigar. passion of yours, right? Oh,
1: uh maybe a
0: smidge just a smidge so what what's the what's what's the entry to cigars like did 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 you just go out and buy a cigar one day you know or or is there like a familial attraction or how do you get to cigars
1: so the entry for two cigars was i mean it was always kind of one of those things that just went hand in hand with whiskey yep and so um originally like everything else. I started on YouTube, and I looked up some stuff. I uh, believe the first three cigars I bought were from Drew Estate. They were part of the Undercrown line.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I bought those three because it let me see three different, um, three different wrapper leaf characteristics. Because mm-hmm. they had a Connecticut shade, which is very light, very creamy. They had a Sumatra Sun Drone, which is very spicy and peppery. And then they had a Maduro, which is very uh, dark chocolate and rich. And so I was able to kind of find my palate in that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I definitely favor the dark chocolate and rich stuff.
0: I was going to guess that if you, you listed them in light, spicy, dark, but if you listed them in preference order, it would be dark, spicy, light. Yep. And that's just coming from a whiskey palette as well, right? Cause oh,
1: yeah. you, I, for me in whiskey, there's nothing I love more than dark fruit and leather mm-hmm. and like old dark chocolate, especially if I can find it. Yep. Oh, makes the fat boy in me so happy.
0: <laughs> well, see dark chocolate's healthy cause it has antioxidants, man. So it's not a fat, that is a skinny person treat and it's okay for us to like that. Like this is, you don't, don't, don't do that to you. Um, I I had the detriment of of growing up in a time where the internet existed, but if you were trying to like do research on cigars or whiskey, it wasn't really a oh, thing. It was, yeah, and so it was like, yeah, look, you don't have to be so like, oh yeah, of course, that was so full on Fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I just saying,
1: I know the cesspool that was the internet back then.
0: Right. So, so trying to like figure out cigars, you know, it was just. It was a crapshoot, man. Like, you, you didn't know what you could find. There were subscription services. I don't, do you know what Columbia House is? You may be too young to know what Columbia House is.
1: Oh, I actually do know what Columbia House is.
0: So, there were cigar su- subscription services that were following the Columbia House model there for a while. And really? in the same vein, they sucked about as bad as Columbia House did. And so I didn't get like a great education. I get super envious of, of of folks like you that are able to grow up with like this access to like really reasonable information to know the difference between, you know, a Connecticut, a Sumatra and a Maduro that early on. Like right off the rip, you're like, oh, here's a good brand. Drew Estate. Anybody who knows cigars knows who Drew Estate is. And here's, you know, three flavors. And I can go try these and I can figure out. What I hate you kids. You damn kids <laughs> these days. Is obnoxious. Uh, you didn't have to suffer through smoking terrible things that sort of tasted um, stale and awful.
1: Uh, like, yes, I did. did. Yes, I did. <laughs> All right. 16-year-old Eric, who was on the smoking, definitely smoked some Black and Miles and some Backwoods.
0: There is nothing wrong with Jerry's Backwoods cigars. Don't Don't listen. <laughs> they have a life, and they have a time when they are appropriate. <laughs> And black and milds are the same way, but to a lesser extent. There is a time, you know, there's a time when Virginia Slim has a life, you know, like you've been out at a lake and you cannot make it back to anywhere reasonable. And that's all someone has. That's what you'd go with that night. Right. Like, that's just what happens.
1: I mean, you can do that, but man, you really hate yourself.
0: The next day you absolutely do. But if you're at the point where you can't like. So we have a, a lake that is, you know, maybe 30, 45 minutes that way. And getting back into town is not an option at certain points in your collegiate career whenever you've been at the lake all day long and you're staying at the lake for that night. Getting back to town is not an option. So you deal with what you've got. You've ran out of sandwich meat. You've got bread and chips. So you're having chip sandwiches. And somebody, all they have is Virginia Slims. That's what you smoke for the night. Whatever's left at, you know, 11 or 12 o'clock at night, it's what you drink. It just is what it is. This is how life oh, goes. Absolutely. So it has its place, and Black and Mild is somewhere before Virginia Slim, um, and after you know Backwoods cigars. Backwards. Hmm.
1: I said definitely after a Backwoods. Yeah, for, yeah. For <sighs> Virginia Slim.
0: Yeah, yeah. But uh, they, they had yeah. A
1: so I started getting into those, and I, honestly, I found I found one. One brand that I basically stuck with all the time, and that was uh, Arturo Fuente's Hemingway line. Mm-hmm. And I found that I really liked it for uh, – they have an earthy tone to them because they use a African Cameroon wrapper that I just found I really freaking liked. Yep. Well, and I think I think
0: I went to Hemingway's over here because you, if you have a bunch of whiskey, you also obviously have to have cigars even if you don't get a chance to smoke them that often. Yep. It's just it's the thing. It's the it's the it's the the quintessential white guy move like this is what we're supposed to do.
1: Look, once you turn 26, you you make your life about a few different things. Mine is smoking meat and whiskey and cigars.
0: (laughs) I knew smoking meat was in there. I knew because that's that's the T-shirt. It's like, you know, you get really into something. It's like history or smoking meat. Are you into history or smoking meat? And the thing is, with whiskey, it's history and drinking. So you can do Whoa. both, right? Like that's what makes it even better is that we can be history slash drinking nerds. Exactly. Um, so you you stick pretty heavy with Arturo Fuente, Fuente Hemingway. Well, so that, I the, used so that, to, uh, ah, but you don't anymore. I do not. So what? Um, are we, what? Should we, what should we be smoking?
1: Uh, I smoke a lot of Aladino cigars now, which is from uh, the. Uh, Aroa family and the Aroa family is the company and brand of family that originally started Camacho back in the day where they were sold off to Davidoff. Well, after their six year non-compete was up, they still had all their farms. They still had all their genetics. Mm -hmm. They went right back to work under the Aladino brand. And now they put out some of the best Honduran made cigars I've ever had. They're also a lot more affordable than my frontes, Mm -hmm. and that's a big one. Because when the cigar budget starts to eat into the whiskey budget, I have an issue.
0: You have to make decisions.
1: I I don't like making those decisions. Right? You're asking me to pick my favorite child.
0: Listen, I have two children, and it depends on the day which one's your favorite. This is how it works, right? (laughs) You don't have a lifetime favorite; you just have a daily favorite because one just as hitting the right moves and there are days where both of them like so you do have a hard time there's days like both of them are just like hitting their groove and you're like yeah good kids my wife's doing a good job of raising them because this behavior is not because of me and i acknowledge (laughs) that. (laughs) but then you have days where you know where their favorites are and you're like this kid's not having a good day and that behavior is because of me and i know this
2: (laughs) "This is my
1: fault you're looking at it like You're acting a bit too much like me, and there's only room for one me in this family, so get it together. Correct.
2: (laughs)
0: Listen, your mom is going to lose it because she only agreed to marry one of me, and I'm going to (laughs) need you to be a little more like her. Because, You're young. You can change.
1: I'm something my <laughs> ways.
0: Right. I'm broken forever. Listen, you know, I drew. I grew up. I'm the back end of Generation X, and we watched everything that you could possibly ever watch happen live on TV, live on TV. And there's just a bunch of like, it started off with watching Ronald Reagan get shot, and then there's the Challenger explosion. Like, we just saw so many things live on TV that nobody should see. So we're broken. We're just permanently oh, broken. Yeah you know, it is what it is. So, um, so what, what, where, where am I getting these Aladino cigars? Like, where do I need to go buy some? Because I obviously need to put some more in my humidor.
1: Well, I will send courier to you with some happily. Uh But, um, right now they really do not sell online. They only sell in brick and mortar.
0: Gotcha. Um, And, and what am I drinking with it? Like you, you have a pairing, right?
1: whatever bourbon you
0: want that night. anything so it's so because here, here's what i run into regularly is it some because you have these three profiles you go to you know that you're getting your sumatra your maduro dark spicy light right trying to put a light cigar up against a heavy bourbon doesn't go well right like one one gets just demolished And if you yep. have a light bourbon and a super dark cigar you may not get much of it so like you, you've got this like perfect vein of flavor profile. But are we saying that Aladino works with everything?
1: I would say that I think it all depends on what you want Mm -hmm. that night. Do you want to taste more of your cigar? Or do you want to taste more of your whiskey? Or do you want them to live harmoniously? Mm -hmm. So for me, they do a cameroon. So Mm -hmm. I've actually I've got their I've got their line pulled up. So Aladino has A Corojo, a Connecticut, a Maduro, a Habano, and a Cameroon. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And all of those are going to be different. For me, I lend towards the Cameroon. Why? Because it's very... It is full-flavored, but the flavor itself is mild. And it is more in line with earth and, like, white pepper, if there is spice. It is very complementary to the sweet and heavy notes that you can find in whiskeys, in my opinion. Now, I am not a tobacconist. I am not a sommelier. I mm-hmm. am a hillbilly with a big, glorious red beard and a stupid cowboy hat. That is it.
0: I don't think you can call yourself a hillbilly. Because I'm not sure that Illinois is known for its hilly terrain.
1: <laughs> Damn it, <laughs> You're not wrong. Where I am from, this is, John, I'm not even kidding you when I say this. When Carson and I moved down here, and Mm -hmm. for those in YouTube land, Carson is my girlfriend. And yeah, so going back to the story. Where where I'm from in Illinois, it is a flat grid for Mm -hmm. the entirety of the county, basically. Everything is on display. You can see
0: your dog away for days. Like yes, if your dog runs can't. away, you just see them keep going.
1: All right, fine. I am a redneck.
0: That's fair because I'm from western Kentucky. We are rednecks here as well. We can't be hillbillies because there's no hills, right? You get into I, middle Tennessee, eastern Kentucky, you get some hillbillies, and there's a certain portion of south, southeastern Illinois where you yes. get into where the, – there's some hills there. The Shawnee. But that's not where you are, though. Because no, I understand I, the geography of Illinois.
1: Although, where I am at now, I can be classified yep. as a hillbilly.
0: But have, you haven't been there long enough to get the credentials. That's like showing up in New York City. Like, I just rented my apartment, and I um, sit down in my apartment, and I'm like, I am a New York Cityian, or whatever they call themselves. You
1: know what? And David Levine's going to appreciate this. Carlin had a bit on this once. Mm-hmm. He said, I was born in New York at New York Hospital, in New York City, in New York County, New York. That is city, county, and state. And right. if you want to really get it get technical, I was conceived at Rockaway Beach.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But said,
1: that yeah. is my New York credentials.
0: <laughs> There's a time where you switch over, because I, I have this conversation regularly with my wife, because she's from Tennessee, right? Okay. But we have hit the time frame where she has now lived in Kentucky longer than Tennessee. So she's, is she a Tennessean who lives in Kentucky or is she a person who was born in Tennessee? That is now a Kentuckian?
2: She's a and Kentucky. I tend to
0: lean towards the latter, but people's attachment to their roots can be very strong. And so she's like, I'm both. And I don't argue because she's smarter than me.
1: I'm an Iliana Hoosier. As far as I'm concerned,
0: Ileana. So, we because we have the Kentuckiana, like Kentuckiana is a term that exists, and I hate it more than anything because, like, one or the other. Let's just, but, anyways, I I appreciate the Ileana because it's a lot better than, especially where I'm
1: from. There are a lot of people that live in Indiana that work in Illinois, and vice versa. Live in Illinois and work in Indiana, so yeah. Iliana is actually the name of some businesses up there. Yeah, so oh, yeah. no, I'm an Iliana. Hoosier now?
0: Does that do you feel like you're betraying your roots by, by being attached to Indiana?
1: Uh, not at all, really. Um, I still have businesses, or I still have accounts with stuff in Illinois. I should say,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I still have my attachment to the state. All my family's there.
0: Are you I going back? Like, are you eventually going back to Illinois or are you, you just wherever the career takes you is where you go?
1: Wherever the wind, wherever Cummins, let's rephrase that. Wherever yeah. Cummins says I need to go, we'll go. So I'm glad you rebranded
0: specifically to who employs you now. Like <laughs> it's a very firm like on social media. I'm not looking anywhere else. Cummins, where uh-huh. you tell me to go,
1: I go. Exactly. Well, and I got I gotta be completely honest. I've never been treated so well from mm-hmm. a corporation in my life that you're going to be hard-pressed to steal me away from them.
0: Everybody's got a price. And if Cat shows up and Caterpillar's like, hey, we'll give you double. If that's
1: the case, I'm only taking it if they offer me a position in Texas.
0: <laughs> Is te- you, you wanna go, you're want go? trying to make, have the hat match the, the, the location? Is that where we're going? There you have it. What part of Texas? Southern Texas? Northern Texas? Western Texas? East Texas? You don't know? You don't care? Don't know. Don't care. Have you been to Texas before? Yes. What part of Texas do you go to?
1: Uh, I've been to Dallas-Fort Worth. I've been to San Antonio. I've been to Houston. And I've been to Paris, Texas, which okay. is about as far north as you can get.
0: Yeah. So you've, you've hit the two kind of veins because, I, at least in my experience, I have – my my mom's family, half of them were born in San Antonio and half of them were born in Kentucky. Okay. And it's not like they s- split at a time frame. It's like every other kid, she's got, you know, like seven siblings, <laughs> every, they, they followed the work at that point in time. You got to think, you know, back in the, you know, the, the oh, 60, 50, 60, 70s, you know, you followed work, you went where it was. And so, um, in the winter time, you're working in Texas and the summertime you're working in Kentucky because you're trying not to die in Texas, whatever. But there is, San Antonio, Texas, and there's Dallas, Texas, and everything else that you visit is some blend of those two, right? Houston, Austin, which Austin is a little bit different, but different parts of Texas feel different. But yes. Dallas and San Antonio do not feel the same at all. Well,
1: and and West Texas is a whole different country.
0: That's just, that's just other Arizona. West Texas is just <laughs> other Arizona. <laughs>
1: I got some friends who are ranchers who are gonna love it when I tell them that. <laughs>
0: yeah, but I mean, look, because this is you know b- 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 part of my job. Like, and it's fine. Like they they wouldn't take objection to it either. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool. They're, yeah, <laughs> we're other Arizona. That's fine.
1: It, it is though. It's just desert cactus cow. Yeah, desert cactus cow. <laughs> Do that for about fourteen hours, and. You- Here's the the other thing that I've wondered
0: regularly, you know, you, you, you've lived in Illinois, you currently live in Indiana and you have significant deer populations, right? This is just, this is just a thing. Like the idea you've probably, you or someone in your family has hit at least one deer with a vehicle, if not many. Mm -hmm. It was a regular occurrence. In Texas, on the side of their interstates and highways, they usually have like a seven foot tall chain link fence to try to keep deer out of the road. Why is yep. no other state doing this shit? I don't know. Like I've never until you know like I've never been like Texas is a deer state. Like they have deer, right? But like that's not the where... only
1: thing the only thing I can think is there are a lot of ranches that you can hunt in Texas and they will do whatever they have to to protect their But these for are lack but of these a better are like, term genetic freaks
0: yeah no i understand what you're but the, the, these are like state right-of-way fences these aren't these aren't farmers that are doing it there are state right-of-way fences that are just lying because we drove from san antonio to dallas and back again and there was fences the entire way just trying to keep animals out of the highway like everyone should be doing this why why and this was in the you know the the early 90s when that, hunting culture wasn't is what it is now, you know?
1: I mean, that sounds amazing to me. Are you telling me I can finally just go full tilt like a Peter bells at 10 o'clock at night and not worry about a suicidal deer?
0: Well, you know, you still have the, like, speed limit problem, right? Like, that's still The speed a
1: limit thing. I can do. Hey, hey, hey. We're not <laughs> worried about the speed limit. We can deal with the cherries and the berries and paying a fine. What <laughs> I don't want to deal with is breaking the whole darn car. Right.
0: Yes. Yeah. Cause I mean, cause in the States where they don't have speed limits, they're not doing this either. And maybe that's the thing. They're like, ah, oh, we'll keep people honest by letting animals potentially run out in front of them, you know, whatever. Maybe that's, <laughs> they. Maybe they have weaponized
1: suicidal animals.
0: This is what it is. It is a speed control concept. They want to have like in your brain, you could hit an animal. So don't go that fast.
1: But then there's the Autobahn in Europe. And you want to know what they do,
0: whatever they want?
1: they do whatever they want, but they also they build bridges so that the animals, animals know yeah. where they cross the road. I want nothing more than to drive on the autobahn and just take some stupid car that I can never really afford and just go as fast as humanly possible for a little bit
0: that's. Uh, you know that if if I were to receive a terminal diagnosis, I'm renting a car that I should never have access to, and it's going to be one fun ride. Because those <laughs> yes. are not very large at that point. You just kind of do mm. whatever you do.
1: No, that or I'm I'm paying the astronomical prices, and I am taking some Porsche or some GTR out mm-hmm. on the Nurburgring and just. I'm either going to make it around the ho- the Nordschleife or I'm going to die. Either way, I'm going to be happy.
0: A smile on my face. And likely, I'm going to pay the security deposit because it's a good chance that there's going to be a <laughs> cigar in my hand. that they don't <laughs> want me smoking in this vehicle. It's just yes. a guarantee. Um, uh, and, you know, whatever's in my cup is what's in my cup. We'll just let that be what it is.
1: Hey, they can't tell when it's inside of a metal tumbler. Don't worry can. about it. yes, they a, can.
0: They can open up and smell it, Eric.
1: That's yeah. none of their it's business. A... <laughs> That's an invasion of my privacy're
0: yes. <laughs> we talking Don't about worry Europe about, about why American I have lives. a thirty ounce old fashioned in here. That's none of your business <laughs> you 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 don't understand you're American, and this is Europe. They don't give a shit about your privacy, <laughs> Eric. This is not a concern for them, not even in the slightest.
1: Oh, I know. But All hey, right. we're living in a dream world. Let me tell Absolutely.
0: Here. Yeah, we're, we're, we're living. There's, there's, there's something that's happening here that occurred this. So we've got Aladino Cigar. We've got Wild Turkey. We've got you know, Collegiate Natural Champion of Archery. I don't know that I don't have anything else to ask. And we're right at t- two hours. So we're going to talk for at least four more minutes to make sure we cross that two hour time frame. Like you hit the, you, you hit the, the, the sweet spot for me is right at two hours. Is there something Absolutely. we didn't talk about that we should talk about? You got something?
1: Well, I mean, I guess I'll give background to how the bourbon cowboy ever became a thing. And yeah, like this the, the cowboy
0: happens. hat is specific. So maybe, I'm going to stop you for a second, then I'll let you talk. Um, I was talking to Aaron from Smoke Wagon a couple weeks, maybe a month and a half ago, and I was asking him about his cowboy hat. I was like, you know, because I, I have a big head. Like I have a big head, you're familiar with the concept. Like baseball hats are not an option. I was like, what puts you in a position? Because he's, you know, he didn't grow up wearing cowboy hats. It wasn't a thing for him. He's like, Where where did you finally get it? And he was like, I just decided I want to, so I did. You know, like life's too short to 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 worry about whether you should or should not. Um, so we talked about that at length. So you got into cowboy hats as a farm kid from Illinois, which can work. Can work. Nope, um, you are missing a giant the giant ass, you're missing a giant ass belt buckle right? But you could, you could, you can make that jump. So you, where where did you get to the bourbon cowboy?
1: So the bourbon cowboy actually comes and I will send you the picture. If you want me to, you can put it in here. I was, I was leaving an event for Indiana bourbon club when I moved down here and i had gone there. It was a big bottle show. Everybody was finally getting to meet me for the first time. Now Mm -hmm. for me, I've always thrown on the cowboy hat when I need to look a bit more formal and or nicer. But also in my lifetime, every time I see somebody with a cowboy hat, I know I want to go talk to that person. And I'm a talkative mm-hmm. person, so I'm like, there's a lot of people that just want to talk to somebody in a cowboy hat. I'm gonna rock a cowboy hat when I go to mm-hmm. bourbon events. And it's just kind of stuck. And there's a picture of me walking out like Bender from um, breakfast Club. I am walking away, hands in the air. There is a bottle in each hand, and mm-hmm. there's bottles shoved in the back pockets of my jeans.
0: <laughs> and that's how the Bourbon Cowboy exits an event. Pretty
1: much. Very and that, true. Is, that is how that's how I, I got given the nickname Bourbon Cowboy. I always mm-hmm. played around with it, but until right. other people called me it, I did not create that Instagram handle.
0: Yeah, it's weird to give yourself a nickname. You know, I, I had a friend that used to always talk about that. But like, you know, like giving yourself a re- like. If you walk up to a group people, are like, my name is John, but people call me Rooster. Like, that doesn't ever connect. Like, it has to be nope. slightly more organic um, for you to at least try to own it. Like, trying to nickname yourself is a is a weird, <laughs> weird idea. But um, it is it. like it's it's inappropriate. And and there's like, it's it's weird to have like this 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 Illinois viking cowboy because that's effectively yeah. what it is at this point right like that's what the, it the, is the, the, the it's, red beard. It's
1: even more mm-hmm. fun is it doesn't show up great but i have blonde hair but mm-hmm. i have a bright red beard
0: yeah there's the red beard there's the cowboy hat there's there's the country sensibility but also illinois <laughs> that yeah. doesn't that doesn't fit in like you show up in kentucky you're like all of these things are confusing to me they don't make sense
1: yeah so and the other thing is it also goes with the fact that um i want to go out on like a date night with carson
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i didn't always want to wear a hat i always wear a hat everywhere i go and mm-hmm. i mean you can see here i've done nothing but sit here yeah and i'm sweating <laughs> like why so um
0: it's glistening. So for me, you're glistening. You're not sweating. You're glistening.
1: So for me, a cowboy hat always looked better dressed up than a baseball cap ever mm-hmm. can. Right. And so I just started rocking the cowboy hat. And our, when I first moved down here last August, Carson and I took a trip to Louisville. I got I got I got I mean I made a whole bunch of new friends in a bar one night by wearing the cowboy hat. Much to Carson's chagrin. She's like, oh good God, do you have to make friends everywhere you go?
0: Yeah, she's like, she's just yes. trying to have some some time with you and now you have new friends.
1: <laughs> yes, that's that's exactly what it is everywhere we go.
0: But. I feel like whether the hat was there or not, that might still occur, Eric. Like you have that kind of a personality that 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 fits it and and, and and I can I can sum it up in this exact moment. Um, you know, we both physically met in in, in person at um, Perry from this is my bourbon podcast bourbon weekend back in Memorial Day. And Perry made a choice, a choice that not many podcasters would make is we sat down um, on Friday night. And he set up a, a microphone. It's it's him and it's Eric, and they're running their regular show. And they set a microphone in front of them, and they're like, does anyone just want to sit down and chat, right? Opening up to a room full of sarcastic and mildly drunk assholes, <laughs> yes. right? It's a bold move. It's a really bold move. And I appreciate, uh, like, Perry's the guy. He's the one that would do something because he's got this, like, connection with human beings and you know like believes in the like he's just a good guy and he's like yeah let's have this conversation and the first person is you without a doubt and that is why (laughs) i think whether the cowboy hat was there or not you're gonna make friends with people in a bar there are people that do that just inherently in who they are
1: it is but i tell you what in the days post-covid where not everybody is, is willing to take on a conversation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This is the greatest conversation starter that exists, and I'm here to tell you, John. If you get me a measurement of your head, I will get you a cowboy hat.
0: Here's here's the thing: is this this is what I want, and it doesn't exist in the world. Is that you're exactly right? Like a cowboy hat is obviously far more suitable than a baseball cap in a lot of situations, but there's not. Any other hat that is accepted in society today that doesn't make you look like an asshole that isn't a cowboy hat, right? Like, cowboy hat just doesn't necessarily fit my identity, and I'm fine with that. Like, it doesn't bother me, but what other hat is there? There's not an option. The rest of you sort of look like a douchebag. There's just not an option, right? And. I I'm not the trendsetter who's like, all right, I'm gonna adopt this and now we're gonna make this not a thing. I just I'll continue. We to need dis- you know what? We need to bring to
1: the back world. the flat top.
0: <laughs> it's such it just seems like a lot of work. And I just don't have it. It's like I'm like, uh, <laughs> that sounds like a lot of work. I'll just I'll just put some turtle wax on, give it good shine, and we'll be we'll be good to go at that point. No no concerns.
1: Wait, you're you're only using turtle wax. I got some better products. We can we can really make that sound like a bowling ball, man. We can make that thing glisten.
0: Well, I've been trying to get to one of those, you know the the, the food additive form uh, Christmas vacation, you know that he, yeah. he makes and he puts on the disc. Like if I could get a hold of some of that, you know we'll do that route. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but but turtle wax gives it a nice sheen without being too reflective like it makes it and look like know your skin's turtle wax
1: oily. has a nice scent i will admit
0: yeah it does it does and, and you know it, it it's weird now you know if we walk through the automotive section of a store my wife's like i just i love that smell like, i don't know it's, just, well, it's a conditioned behavior <laughs> Condition
1: That's a point, uh, hey man. That is Pavlov dog. Ring the absolutely. bell, they start to
0: celebrate. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, I don't have anything else. If you don't have anything else,
1: no, I really don't. This has been an awesome conversation. I hope we can do yeah. it again, man.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll be back again at some point talking about some blue popcorn or some sweet corn or some other distillery or just because I'm thoroughly. Thank you for showing up tonight, giving me a couple hours of your Sunday afternoon. Um, oh, will try to make the sure pleasure we understand. Is all
1: mine, anybody that is silly enough to give me a microphone and a platform,
0: I'm happy to show up. <laughs> Obviously you haven't dug through like anybody who wants a platform can come and chat with me. Like we're, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll find an interesting thing to come talk about because we've talked about geese hunting. We've talked about whiskey. We've talked about cigars. We've talked about agriculture. We've talked about cat. This is what is valuable to me, right? everybody yeah. focuses on let's talk about whiskey. And we spent maybe 25% of this conversation talking about whiskey and the rest of it was just talking about people. And that's what's, you know what?
1: I never, I, I, what I did need to ask. Did you ever get your hands on any whiskey Acres products?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I've been drinking the whole. Sorry. So here's the here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about whiskey Acres tonight. I've been drinking this since we started the episode. I, I pre tuned with something else, but I've been drinking this the entire time, and it's it's really good. Like it, the the thing that I will say. So kind of rolling back the the time a little bit is that this is a 2015 harvest bottle. I yep, think I got it from from Sealbox. Um. There's a distinct note that comes with craft whiskey. And it's either, you know, because it's right. pot still pot stilled or because it's, you know, malting process or whatever, it's there. But that is a term that some people can use in kind of a negative light. This is really, really good whiskey, right? And the future of whiskey in the United States and North America is going to come from craft distillers because they have an ability to innovate and do different things like blue popcorn or gym corn or sweet corn or unique craft because they're only putting out a handful of barrels at a time instead of pumping through hundreds. Right. And so they can do some fun and unique things They can try out stuff. And then your big distilleries will steal these ideas later on and then kind of put them into play. Right. Um, and so my hope is that people that like thinking of whiskey acres here, as I taste them, I want to see the 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 Lost Lanterns of the world show up and want to do single barrels with them because you know, like Lost Lantern, I, I did an episode with them last week. Yep. they're going and finding unique barrels, right? And they're they're yeah. they're partnering with craft distilleries that are doing unique and fun things. And this is so this
1: is it. I can actually, you and I both have a 2015 harvest bottle. I can give you a little bit more insight on this one. Yes. So this is a five year bottled-in-bond, and, bond, and everything that has come out after the 2015 harvest has actually been five and a half year bottled and bond Nice. And I don't hold me to this in conversations after a couple cocktails with Nick. The goal is to eventually get it to six.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But we just have to I don't do. I mean, like, is,
0: like holding, being a small holder and holding on to whiskey for a long time is just an opportunity to pay taxes on something that could end up not being good. Right. Yeah. And that was,
1: that was the thing that always impressed me with them was they didn't release bottled and bond until five years. mm -hmm. They didn't even bother at four
0: till it was right.
1: It wasn't right. And they're like, Nope, not coming today. And,
0: and I can, I can, I can appreciate that all day long because you know, like the, the cost of, of making whiskey is just so immense. Right. Because once you've put it into a once you've created it, not even put it into barrel. once you've created it, you've begun a tax ledger where you have to continue to pay for it until you put it in a bottle and sell it. Right. And so you may be paying taxes on something that is terrible. It's gamble because it could come out of the still tasting. okay. it could go into the barrel and come out tasting terrible. Yep. Like there's whiskey that's poured out every year or blended into a massive batch. But if you're a craft distiller. You don't have a massive batch to blend it into. No, no. So, and
1: truthfully, I, I hope that they eventually start doing this. This is a five and a half. Year, this is a five-year-old weeded bourbon. Mm-hmm. I would love to see what they could do with a five-year-old bourbon with rye.
0: Now, will they do that? Since they don't, they, I mean, because like they're 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 this is seed to. Would you say seed to seed to spirit? Seed to spirit. I couldn't remember the second term. Seed to spirit. Um, If they can't grow their own rye, what are they going to do? They grow their own rye. They do grow. So they do grow some rye now.
1: They grow all their rye that they've ever used. Okay. And they make rye whiskey.
0: Oh, okay. See, I didn't know they made rye whiskey. So that that, that makes tons more sense. So it's Um, definitely doable. It's in their
1: portfolio. mm Mm-hmm yeah they grow everything though that's why that's why I've always respected them is because they went through trial and error testing of basically making a test plot mm-hmm. for a bunch of different rye hybrids and going, Well, let's see which one will actually grow in Illinois
0: <laughs> that and that's it seems like a really simple thing to say. But until you've worked with or been a farmer, trying to figure out what works in a particular geography is not nearly as simple as just throw some seed in the ground. Because the variability of weather, of soil conditions, of planting dates, just it may be that it just didn't do good that year because you can plant the same hybrid year over year. And you said, you know, think of DeKalb, they can get 250 bushels per acre, but they may have a year where they only get 200 and the next year they get 275. Yeah. Right. So in the 200 year, was that a bad year for the hybrid or is it a bad year for the weather or like exactly how do you know what works? And then does it make good whiskey afterwards? Yeah, like that's that's the next. There's so many things that go into to, to creating something that we're all going Absolutely. to nitpick the shit out of after the fact.
1: And that was that was another cool thing with uh, Dave Pickerel coming in and being mm-hmm. a consultant on this. He tested the water they have. It is ninety nine point nine nine percent a chemical match to the limestone water in nice kentucky and you want to know why because that limestone shelf that y'all love it's to not just kentucky about, that stuff runs all the way up to wisconsin
0: yeah um, i mean it that's that's a thing it's that's a marketing talking point like we're, we're oh, at, yeah, point, right. at least for us was, you, you we know it is so
1: well and for me where i grew up in kankakee illinois area mm-hmm I grew up three miles from one of the biggest limestone mines or limestone yeah. quarries in the state. Like, trust me, I drank ditch water if I got thirsty because it was so filtered from that quarry. Yeah. I didn't have to worry about it.
0: No, it's it's not a concern. I mean, like we're we're sitting. The, it's the it's the limestone shelf that sits underneath the Ohio River, which is. Yep the border between Kentucky and Ohio and Kentucky and Indiana and Kentucky and Illinois. Mm -hmm. And that limestone shelf extends much farther than just the edges of the river. Because if you run into, you know, Bardstown, how far are you from the river? And they're still pulling off that limestone shelf. And, you know, kind of the other side of it is that they may be using limestone water during the fermentation process, but whenever they're distilling, they're removing a ton of things. And then whenever they're proofing down, it's all reverse osmosis water at that point. It's all purified at some point. Like they're not literally using river water to proof down your whiskey and then put it in a bottle, right? And so Absolutely the impact of, of of limestone water exists solely during fermentation.
1: Yeah, I just I always I, that's something that they talk about, and it's something I would take pride in too, because there are a yeah. lot of people in Kentucky who are like, oh, 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 limestone water, limestone water.
0: And no one else is talking about it, right? Like so, exactly. so Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, none of them are saying we do too. Well, actually, they're starting to now, right? Like so, you, you talk to some craft associates, like, nah, we got the same stuff. Like we're, <laughs> we're the same, but because Kentucky has done a good job of creating marketing content of over something that non-GMO corn, you know, like
1: <laughs> there it is. Yeah, hey buddy, we have brought this thing. Oh, so cool full circle
0: <laughs> it works um but yeah so thank you we're two hours 13 minutes yeah. thank you so much yeah. for for hopping on we're gonna do this again probably in a couple months um absolutely let your life settle down some interesting changes coming
1: Um no doubt kudos
0: surprise all of those wonderful things i'm gonna boot you out hit the outro and and we'll be done all right buddy cool thank you so much
1: yep yeah, thank you bye-bye
0: Thanks for tuning in for this offering of the Embellish podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you have to be consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible, hit me up on social media at Twitter or Instagram using EmbellishPod pod and give me a follow. So you can keep up with what's going on here. I can be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts and contact details. I'll be back again next week with another new offering for you. And so till then cheers and thanks for hanging out.